Tune out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nevia. Well, let me tell you something, brother. I've been training, saying my prayers, and eating my vitamins. I've been hanging and banging for 40 days and 40 nights on the Titanic, brother. I hopped on the back of a great white shark, grabbed it by its dorsal fin with the largest arms and with some pretty big arms. And I said, what you gonna do, brother? Who? Who? got something he wants to say. Devon, get the table! <laughs> get the table! Hey, you heard the man, he said, Devon, get the table! After all of these decades, whether I'm in a doctor's office or in a grocery store, or if it pops up on the 80s channel, whenever I hear that song, I still listen to Saturday Night's main event. And it's so disappointing, everyone. You know, newer fans, this really doesn't affect all that much, but old school fans like me, I know it does. You know... WWE, of course, has to pay royalties when they license music. And I could get it. Metallica and some others will charge a lot more than other bands. How much money do you think Animotion possibly would want to have WWE keep that song on the network for Saturday night's main event? It's so sad and cheap when you think about it. You know, the rock and wrestling connection, that is what propelled WrestleMania in the beginning. And just just think of it like this. When you go back and you reminisce at the Rock and Wrestling Connection in 85, all the music that was associated with the Rock and Wrestling Connection, they can't even play. They don't even they don't want to pay any licensing fees. It's disappointing. Yes, SmackDown, you will hear the beautiful people. But my God, how do you fuck with Saturday Night's main event? I don't get it. I don't get it. What's up, everyone? Don Tony here, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 19 of This Week in Wrestling History. This week we covered a period of May 7th through May 13th, and I promise you, you're going to hear some clips on this episode that you may have never heard before, or you completely forgot about. 
And I did a little research as well that I think some of you will actually appreciate. And you'll hear that almost immediately at the beginning of this show, near the beginning. But uh, let's get right into it. First, 1975, Bruno San Martino, who was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion at the time, he wrestled in Japan and fought the Pacific Wrestling Federation Champion, Giant Baba. They went to a no contest. It was a title unification match. I know recently, Seth Rollins versus Kofi Kingston. Oh my God, title versus title, blah, 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 blah. Happened many times in the past. And it always ends with a clusterfuck, a double countout, a double DQ. Once in a while, you'd have a champion actually lose, but always by DQ. I think Holly Race lost against Backlund. It might have been the NWA heavyweight title versus the WWF heavyweight title. So, you know, it was rare at the time, but, you know, still, it was a legendary match because this was the first time the WWF title was ever defended in Japan. It was a pretty pretty cool moment. 1981, Vern Gagne retires from the ring after beating Nick Bockwinkle to retain the AWA Heavyweight Championship. So, you know, all the hype at this time, and trust me, the Minnesota uh, newspapers really covered the retirement of Vern Gagne this week in 81. It was a big deal. I mean, Vern Gagne is one of the greatest of all time. If anybody actually went back and looked at how popular Vern Gagne was on regular television across the United States back in the 50s and the 60s, it'll shock you. But he retired as AWA heavyweight champion. Now, you know, it's not a big deal, but, you know, the whole idea with this match was it was a retirement match. Sold out the building, faced Nick Bockwinkle. Bockwinkle's promos, I'm going to take that title from Ganya, take that title, take that title. Well, when Vern won the match and retired as the champion, uh, 10 days later, Stanley Blackburn hated that character. Nothing personal, just hated the character Stanley Blackburn. Almost hated him as much as Jack Tunney's character, quote-unquote, the TV character. But 10 days later, Stanley Blackburn, since Vern retired with the title, no tournament, no match to determine a new champion. Nine days later, Stanley Blackburn hands the belt to Nick Bockwinkle. So he got the belt anyway. 1983. Did a lot of research on this. I think some of these things I get into right now about these two stories, you may never have heard before. But, you know, when you go on all these history websites, This Week in Wrestling History, Today in Wrestling History, and blah, 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 blah. You see many of them cover the anniversary of the death of Jimmy Snooker's girlfriend, Nancy Argentino. Yes, in recent years, a lot of places covered it because they reopened the case and Snooker ended up being found guilty. But, on all these anniversaries where it's not a news story, you see anybody covering it? No. This week in 83, she died. Now, there's a couple of tidbits about this that you may not know about. And another big story that actually occurred within 24 hours of this tragedy. Another WWF star was uh, rushed to the same hospital as Nancy Argentino was. Now, let's set this up a little bit. This week in 83, WWF had a show in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Jimmy Snuka and his girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, were staying at the George Washington Motor Lodge in Whitehall, Pennsylvania. Police were called. 
She was unconscious, uh, basically fell, hit her head, and she would die a few hours later at the hospital. And um, trying to remember the name of Lehigh Valley Hospital, that's what it was. She died a few hours later. Now, at the time, they investigated because they could not tell if the fall was accidental or intentional. Now, I know over the years you've heard different stories that she fell along a highway and this, this, and that, and blah, 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 blah. No, this happened at the hotel. And, you know, when you also hear the crazy shit over the years that uh, Vince showed up with a big briefcase and this and that, nah, that wasn't the case. If you actually look at the original autopsy report, she died because of uh, the blow to the head. But the original autopsy said it was from a fall. It was not intentional. But a lot of things that should have really sparked some concern is this. And I don't know how many people know about this, but, you know, we're talking May of 83. In January of 83, Snooker was with Nancy Argentino in Onondaga, New York. They were staying at a Howard Johnson's motel. I think it's Selena. And um, somebody at the desk, a hotel clerk, heard screams coming from a hotel room inside the Howard Johnson's. She calls the cops. The cops show up, they go to the room, it's the room of Snooker in Argentina. Snooker refuses to let them in the room. It took nine police officers and a police dog to finally subdue Jimmy Snooker. He was arrested and charged with second and third degree assault. The third degree assault was on Nancy Argentino. The second degree assault was on a cop. Now, whenever you uh, cause any injury to a police officer or I believe a fireman, even if the injury is minor, you're immediately charged with second degree assault. And one of the cops got slightly injured in trying to subdue Snooker, but nothing major. So he was arrested. This was a, a story. I mean, and this is, keep in mind, this is only a couple of months before she died. Anyway, what ends up happening is Snuka pleads guilty to disorderly conduct. Nancy Argentino refuses to press charges, so the third-degree assault was dropped. The second-degree assault against the officer was dropped down to disorderly conduct. So Snuka pleads guilty to that, pays a $15 fine, and also agreed to wrestle at a charity event that raised money to the local Ronald McDonald House in upstate New York. And when this all went down between court and appearing on that show, it was a month, only one month before Nancy Argentino was found dead. So how investigators could not think that this could have been a little bit more, especially since this guy was arrested a couple of months earlier for assault against Nancy. It's a little bit surprising. It really is. You know, a couple other things, and this is something you may not know about either. You know, if you go back to a lot of the newspapers, especially in Pennsylvania, when they really covered this story more than any other place in the United States, they did interviews with investigators. And there was an investigator that talked about Jimmy Snooker. And they said at the time, Jimmy Snooker had, um, as far as English goes, the English language, he had elementary level English, which means that he had knowledge of the English language like a kid in elementary school. Jimmy Stucker could not read, nor could he write 
English either. So when you hear these promos and it's really like nothing or you hear these long pauses, Jimmy Snooker really did not speak much English at the time. Very, very bad. Did not read English, did not know how to write it. It's a couple of tidbits. Now, here's something that I don't know if anybody ever knew that they happened together. 24 hours later, Eddie Gilbert, who was wrestling at the same house show in Hamburg, PA, with Stucker, he's driving at 2.30 in the morning on Route 22 in Pennsylvania at a, an elevated rate of speed. I don't believe alcohol was involved, but he ended up rear-ending a truck trailer, and this trailer was hauling a two-and-a-half-ton army truck Gilbert hit the truck so hard that his car was totaled. It went on fire. He got rushed to the hospital, was in critical condition, and they had to close the highway for about four or five hours. So this was the auto accident that unfortunately started the painkiller addiction to Eddie Gilbert, which would ultimately ruin the rest of his life. So, you know, I I wonder how many people, and if you look at the synopsis for this week, that photo I actually got from my research, that is the photo of Eddie Gilbert's car from that car accident. I think I'm going to post a much better uh, quality picture of that on my Twitter. So if you go check out my Twitter, at Don Tony D, you could see it there. My God, how this guy didn't kill himself in his accident. but, But then again, You look at the car he was in. I don't know if it was a Lincoln Continental. It looked like, you know, a a Lincoln. I mean, those cars protect protect you big time. Anybody that's listened to my other shows, I've told the story about, you know, my 78 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, my 84 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. Ville. Felt so safe in those cars because the front was not fiberglass. So if he was driving, you know, a cheap, (laughs) I hate to say it, but a cheap, you know, Japanese car at the time probably would have killed himself. And that's not even an exaggeration. 1985, as we mentioned moments earlier, WWF, Saturday night's main event, the first ever episode airs on NBC. I still think back to Don Pardo. Remember him? Catch the wrestling and the funny with Saturday night's main event and Saturday night live every Saturday night. Only on NBC TV. Blah, 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 blah. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. That first episode, it's one of those moments in wrestling that you remember every aspect of it. Always remember the end, the junkyard dog with Pete Doherty. You don't know what I'm talking about. That's disappointing. That means you never watched this episode either. By the way, later on, hold your ears too, because you're going to hear some screaming again, and it's not from me. But what about Wendy Richter beating the fabulous Moolah? You know, remember the whole controversy? Fan tried to grab Cindy Lauper's tits and all that other stuff. I mean, uh, nobody ever talks about that. You had um, Jose Luis Rivera 
Moon over Charlie Fulton. These are dark matches. Moondog spot over Steve Lombardi. Big John Stud over Tony Guerrilla. Les Thornton over Quick Draw Rick McGraw. Salvatore Bellomo over Johnny Rods. On TV, we got to see Ricky Steamboat, the U.S. Express, over Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik, and George the Animal Steel. Volkov and Sheik turned on George the Animal Steel. The only thing I didn't like about that whole night of Saturday night's main event when George Steele put his head on Albano's chest and he's hugging him, you know, he's holding him and patting him. It's okay, it's okay. I mean, they spent so much time building up Lou Albano as a heel. This is not too long after, you know, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. The music video came out. I didn't kind of like that all that much, but I remember the interview after where uh, Sheik and Volkov, along with Blassie, are interviewed like towards the back, but still, you know, visible. And you see George Steele like walking up to him and it's just funny. I loved it. Hulk Hogan over Cowboy Bob Orton to retain the WWF championship. Wendy Richter, as I said, retains the women's championship defeating Fabulous Moolah. Just absolutely loved it. We had the uh, debut of Cindy Lauper's music video, The Goonies Are Good Enough. If you've never seen that music video and you like old school wrestling, or even if you're a younger wrestling fan, go watch it. Sewer rats! Sewer rats! Oh, man. Roddy Piper, Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov fucking, you know, milking the, the, the ceramic cow in the back of the truck. Just so many awesome memories. And I know it's just the opening song, but when you heard that song, man... It just, I listen to it now and I'm like, come on, WWF, are you, WWE, you're not cheap. You can't pay a little royalties, my God. This music is, you know, it just represents that era and that show. Sometimes you got to pay a little bit of extra money, you know, to look back and celebrate. Stop being cheap like that. It pisses me off. 1988. This was a big story in Memphis. We had Jerry Lawler facing Kurt Henning for the AWA Heavyweight Championship, title versus career. Kurt Henning put the title up. Jerry Lawler put his career up. They actually even did like a 900 number so fans could vote who you wanted as a special guest referee. Now, remember, Kurt Henning playing a major heel at the time. So would the fans want his father being a referee or would they want Jackie Fargo? I think you could figure out who actually won that. You had loads of TV coverage, Channel 5, Channel 3, uh, Memphis covering it, newspapers. The day before the match, or maybe even the morning of that match, the city of Memphis mayor, Dick Hackett, uh, uh, proclaims May 9th, 1988 is Jerry Lawler Day. Um, you also had like car dealerships that were heavily involved in it. It was just incredible. And Jerry Lawler ends up winning the match. Defeats Kurt Henning to become the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Big time press re- press conference after, covered all over the place, newspapers, big time in Memphis. And then here's a little bonus. Um, they did some rematches, and there was one in particular. And again, you think back and you're like, wow, this is really good ways to get some money grabs. First, they did that 900 number, 99 cents a call, picked the referee in a match. Well, they had um, a dealership that sponsored a lot of uh, CWA at the time, Continental Wrestling, Memphis. And the owner of Covington Pike Toyota, they came out uh, with this stipulation 
that this match that was coming up between Kurt Hennig and Jerry Lawler, return match for the AWA championship, that if Jerry Lawler lost the match, that Covington Pike Toyota would refund every fan's money that paid to see the match that night. And a lot of fans believed that stipulation. They thought, oh my God, there's a chance we may get our money back that night. Now that stipulation has been repeated many times over the years. Probably the most recent one we've mentioned was Paulie Dangerously. You know, guaranteeing that, you know, that there would be, you know, a certain outcome. I believe that was the hair versus title match with Jerry Lawler losing his first ever hair match. But anyway, so here's a little bonus audio. We have the dealer from Covington Pike making this, you know, guarantee that they'll refund everybody's money if Jerry Lawler loses. And uh, they're recording this interview at the CWA studios. Well, Kurt Hedig shows up. Now, keep in mind, within, I don't know, a month or two, Kurt Hedig would be in the WWF. And uh, shortly, almost immediately after, would debut as Mr. Perfect. So when you hear this, keep in mind, this is only about a month or so before Kurt Hennig leaves to sign with the WWF. And, you know, within, what, a month or two, Kurt Hennig would be Mr. Perfect. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this promo. Kurt Hennig flips out, destroys the CWA studios, and beats up the Toyota dealer guy. This Covington Pike Toyota, uh, the world's largest Toyota dealer, is going to be guaranteeing to the public that you have so much confidence in a hometown champion in Memphis that you're going to be guaranteeing that if Lawler loses, you'll return all the money to the people. That's an amazing thing. That's right, Lance. We've got a lot of faith in, in Jerry. We've been associated with him a long time. We're confident that he'll win and keep the belt. You've got to be. If he doesn't, it'll be a great night of entertainment. On the house. On the house. That is something in there. Jerry made the comment to me, uh, uh, Kent, when Kurt Hennings coming out here. He is not supposed to be in town until tomorrow, the day before. First of all, who does this group there think he is coming out here telling he's going to get $50,000 back? If Let me tell you something. You take them little shoe boxes with wheels and little Toyotas and drive them out of here. And if I see come you on, driving Kurt. down the road, I'll run right over you, punk. You got now, it? You don't have to come out here and be nasty and start all that kind of stuff. Lance, I'm going to tell you, there's not a doubt in my mind or Covenant Pike Toyota's mind that Jerry will retain the crown. There's no way. All right, that's not just sure. about... Hey, hey, come on. Hey, come on. All right, Kurt. You're acting like a hoodlum now. Come on, quit it. Cut! Here. Come on, Kurt. Are you in? What's the matter with you? You think I'm out here playing around? You people out here don't know anything. You don't come out here insulting and jumping on somebody like this that. This has gone too far. Jerry Lawler, who do you think you are? You're running around saying you're the heavyweight champion of the world. You've got your picture in every paper and every magazine around. I'm sick and tired. I've been sitting back in Minnesota and all the talk shows and everything is about Jerry Lawler. Well, let me tell you right now. Why don't you come out here right now, Jerry Lawler? I'm standing in your backyard. And you and I, I, I 
tell you what I'll do. I will cripple you so bad that they'll have to hand me that belt back on a silver platter. Why don't you just get out of here? Now, nobody asked you to come to this television show. You come out here and jump on a perfect gentleman that's perfect standing here. Perfect gentleman? In. What, kind of, what kind of bozo is he anyways? That guy doesn't have anything to do in my business. Let me tell you something, Lawler. I'm calling you out right now. I'll tell you what, if he doesn't come out here right now, I might just tear this whole damn studio apart. All right, now don't get into that. You've got a match coming up. It's two days away. You don't have to come that, have that kind of an attitude about it. Now, you've made your point. You're a big, tough guy. You don't understand. You people think I'm clowning around. I'm not, and I'm going to start with that. Hey, listen. Now, come on, Kurt. Just get it out of it. Will you quit it? Put the bell he down. Just get out here now. This studio is going down. No. Come on, Lana. No. Now, what in the world? Are you insane? Are you afraid of something? Am I afraid of nothing, boy? You, you, you certainly have the decorum and the attitude of a champion. Look at that, coming in here, tearing up. Sure, you can do that. I'm waiting for you, Lawler. What do you want me to go with next? I'm calling you out, Jerry Lawler. I'm calling you out, and I'm standing right in your own backyard. I'm waiting. Now, why don't you wait two more days until the uh, world title match is scheduled? You don't have to come in and start tearing our stuff up. That is an absolute disgrace. You came in here and tore some stuff up. Is that it? People don't understand. I'm a very unpredictable man. I know that. All right, Kurt. Now, come on. Enough's enough. This guy. What, are you crazy or something? I thought you had at least some sense. Not a It's a heavyweight championship belt. You're the poorest excuse I've ever seen for a champion, and I've come for what's rightfully mine, and that's the heavyweight championship. Yeah. Who do you want me to start? You want me to start with some cameras? Well, well wait, wait a minute. Why don't you just get out of here? You wait till Lawler gets a hold of you and take care of him. You don't have to get in here and start doing this kind of stuff. Oh, you, seem like, you're, one of you, you seem like you're a real good friend of his. Well, certainly. I've known Lawler a long time, and I've been a friend of his. Now, all right, Kurt, now, come on. Just take it on out of here. We've already torn up our Let's see just how good a friend you are of his. Come on, now. I'll tell you what. Hey, I, I'm going Quiet. I'm telling you Quiet. one thing. I am going to give you the count of ten, and if Jerry Lawler doesn't come out here, you're going to be wearing your nose on the other side of your face. I'll tell you what you better do. You better be married to a lawyer because you don't. Three. Kurt, now don't start that. Four. Let me go. Come on. Five. Let me get out. Six. Seven.
I'm telling you, as you can hear, this is going to be an awesome episode. I mean, they're all good, but some of them you just know, you know, from top to bottom, a lot of memorable shit. This wasn't so memorable, and we talked about it last week. You know, we had the Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions events, and by the time we started getting to the tail end of these, you know, they really, the cards were nowhere as strong as what they were when Flair first lost to uh, Kerry Von Erich. But this week in 88, we had the fifth annual event. Uh, match results from that night, the missing link and Jason Sterling over Vince Apollo and the Angel of Death. Mike George retains the WWA World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Jeff R- Rates. Yeah, Rates. Ain't rats. Rates. Steve Casey over Eric Embry. Black Bart over Bill Irwin. Uh, Wild Bill Irwin. Say that fast 10 times. Terry Bam Bam Gordy over Michael P.S. Hayes in a triple dome of terror match. You then had Terry Taylor retain the world-class Texas Heavyweight Championship, defeating Chris Adams. Jason Sterling, Steve Casey, and John Tatum defeats the Angel of Death, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Michael P.S. Hayes, Iceman King Parsons, Buddy Roberts, Jack Victory, Sean Simpson, and many others in the Triple Dome Texas Roundup match. Bruiser Brody and Kevin Von Erich over Buddy Roberts. And as they always wrote, a masked man, who we would learn later would be Solomon Grundy. I wonder who remembers that name. John Tatum and Jack Victory over Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Steve Simpson to win the vacant Wild West Tag Team titles. And the main event for the World Class World Heavyweight Championship, Kerry Von Erich wins the belt, defeating Iceman King Parsons. Now we go to 1989, next audio clip. One of my favorite feuds of all time. It started on this show. Match didn't start. What transpired after the match is how this feud started. Wrestle War 1989 took place from Nashville, Tennessee. Very, very entertaining show. If you have never seen it, definitely go out of your way to watch it. Match results, great muta over Doug Gilbert. You had Butch Reed over Ranger Ross. Blah. Dick Murdoch over Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. with Gary Hart in his corner. The Dynamic Dudes, Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas over the Samoan SWAT team with Paulie Dangerously in their corner. You have Michael P.S. Hayes defeat Lex Luger to win the NWA United States heavyweight title. Sting over the Iron Sheik to retain the NWA World TV title. You had the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering over the Varsity Club, which was Mike Rotunda and Dr. Death Steve Williams with Kevin Sullivan in their corner. Uh, so it was a DQ victory, so the tag championships did not change hands. Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner retain the NWA United States tag team titles, defeating the Varsity Club of Dan Spivey and Kevin Sullivan. And we had Ric Flair win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, defeating Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Now, at this time, Terry Funk, he had been in Hollywood doing some movies. He would be featured pretty much only, in fact, only as a color commentator for the NWA, you know, doing a lot of work with Jim Ross. So Terry Funk was doing commentating during this night as well. So after Ric Flair defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Terry Funk hit the ring to interview Ric Flair. And what transpired is legendary. It led up to the beginning of one of the best feuds that we have seen in our generation. And who could ever forget the I Quit match that took place between Funk and Flair? 
easily my top five favorite matches of all time. But the feud officially started this night. So let's flash back. Let's start with the closing moments of the NWA World Heavyweight title match between champion Ricky Steamboat, challenger Ric Flair. Boy, he's really hurt that leg. See him limping it. He's not putting any weight down on that leg at all as he gets up on the apron of the ring. He's got to try to walk it off and shake it off if possible, but we don't know what he's done with it. He may not be able to do it, and Flair's going to work on it. Of course he's going to work on it. Of course he is. The master of the figure four. And now Flair... I'll tell you something else about Steamboat hurting his leg. As Flair's got Steamboat up in a vertical suplex, and he drops him. It's a fact that's going to obviously hamper Steamboat's mobility. And that's one of his great weapons, his agility and mobility. And as Steamboat holds that left knee, the judges very, very astutely are observing this contest. This is another thing that knee may do. It may set him up for that figure four. And could he stand the pain of that figure four on that knee that's already injured? I never would have dreamed that Flair would have ever submitted in a match. It's not beyond the realm of comprehension to think that Steamboat, here it comes, here it comes, the crowd is standing, they know exactly what this means, there is a master of this maneuver, he has won the world title with this maneuver on more than one occasion, and now perhaps Bob as Steamboat is perfectly positioned in the center of the ring, it could be only a This man can put pressure on you like nobody else in that figure four. Oh, gosh. Man, the pain has got to be just riveting through Steamboat's body. His shoulder's on the mat, and we had two and a half there. Steamboat's either got to turn Flair over on his stomach, or he's got to get to the ropes. It's that, it's that simple. 30 minutes gone by, 30 minutes left in the time limit. And they've been at this, they've been at it tooth and nail. They haven't slacked up a single bit. It's been 30 minutes of non-stop action all the way. Boy, you got to have two men in outstanding physical condition to do that. I want to tell you something, Bob, when fans tune in and they see a championship match and they hear 30 minutes gone by, they know it's the NWA. They're not out here posing. They're not out here to, to rock and roll music. These are two great conditioned athletes for the richest prize in this sport, and they are putting it all on the line. And Flair, he, is, he says he's the dirtiest player in the game. He's going to try to dissect the leg of the dragon right here. And what a chop. And you can hear that one on, down on Printer's Alley down here, not too far from the building here in Nashville. Well, Steamboat knows exactly what Flair's going to do with that leg, and he's trying to protect it at every opportunity, but there's no way you can continue to fight and do that. Steamboat fights back. Boy, what a heart the champion has. What character. Ooh, what a shot by Steamboat!
the heavyweight champion of the world, Nature Boy Ric Flair. I think also we have to give credit where credit is due. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Ric Flair both competed in one of the, the greatest matches that any of us, I think, have ever witnessed. Champ, congratulations. Thank you very much. Not in character for Ric Flair, but Rick Steamboat is the greatest champion I've ever faced. And I'm proud to be here for a sixth time. Uh, hey, hey, Rick, I want to be the first to congratulate you on being the new world's champion. Terry, thank you very much. We do appreciate the judges being here. Hey, Rick, I also want to say that if it would have gone 60 minutes that I would have liked to have, uh, I would have voted for Ric Flair because I think that you're the greatest wrestler in the world today. Very nice. Thank you very much, Terry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Terry. You know, champ, it went past 35, 40 minutes. It was nip and tuck both. You know, I would, I would also like to go ahead and I'd also like to go ahead and, and be the first one to challenge Ric Flair to that new championship. Well, Terry, uh, I'm honored that you'd like to get in the picture, but as the wrestling fans know, you've been an active, you've been in Hollywood, Sylvester Stallone, while I've been being the world champion. And we got a top 10. We got a top 10 that the world champion is obligated to wrestle. And that's why we are number one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you, are you really saying that uh, I'm not a contender? No, what I'm saying, Terry, is that you are a great wrestler, but right now you're rubbing shoulders with Sylvester Stallone and not the no, world champion. No, 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 no. I was just asking, do you think it, uh, you're I'm not good kid. enough? You're saying that I'm not good enough, aren't you, Rick? I'm not saying that at all, Terry. Yes, me to look you in the eye and tell you that I got a problem with wrestling a guy that's been out in Hollywood for five years. It's the bottom line, but I'm looking at the top ten, and you're no. not in the top ten. No, Rick, Rick, Rick. Hold it. Let me conclude this by saying thank you. I'm honored, everybody. Win, lose, or draw, Rick Flair. Rick, please, please let me just say one more thing. I was, I was just kidding you about going ahead and and. and wanting to challenge you. I didn't want to really challenge you. I was just kidding you, so. Ed Gummett, let's go ahead. That was me, yeah. Thanks, guys. Hey!
conversation between the two. The guy went completely berserk. He's mad. I have never seen. I, this, this man's crazy. Yep. This man is absolutely crazy. But the most important thing right now, I don't care about Terry Funk. I care about the heavyweight champion of the world. Wrapping up 1989, Roddy Piper, who was retired for about two years, left to do movies, They Live. He comes back to the WWF, the boss is back, uh, ends his retirement, and is back in the WWF ring. 1995, WCW doing a tournament to declare the new United States champion. The title had been vacant. And uh, some of the tournament matches were featured on TV, WCW Saturday Night. Eight participants in the tournament. Opening match was Sting against Paul Orndorff, Meng against Brian Pillman, Ric Flair versus Alex Wright. And this match that actually uh, ended up being the first and only time they would face off in the ring. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Steve Austin. So now here is, for your enjoyment, uh, Steve Austin on his podcast talking a little bit about memories, working with Macho Man Randy Savage. Remember, they only had one match in their entire careers. But I'll also share with you the match itself. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't anything all that memorable. Uh, it, in fact, it ends extremely quick. But I figured you'd get a kick out of hearing the only time that Steve Austin took on Macho Man Randy Savage in a wrestling ring one-on-one. -on -one. I remember down in, uh, back in the day, it was in the early 90s, we were down in Orlando at those TV tapings, and I did a three-minute squash job for him, and I was the guy getting squashed, and I was just pretty much, you know, a mechanic and stunning Steve. Didn't really, care for the uh, didn't really care for the finish or getting beat that quick, but I knew that it was Macho's time, and I didn't have any problem whatsoever putting him over in the middle, and was a huge fan of that guy's work, and as of late, I've been watching a lot of his work. As a matter of fact, just two days ago, I rewatched the WrestleMania three match between him and Ricky Steamboat, so I was a huge fan. I would have loved to work a program with him in his prime, me in my prime, but, uh, you know, uh, never really was close to him. And I don't know, you know, a whole lot of people that were close to him because, you know, Randy was a very private guy. And, uh, I mean, I, I said DTA don't trust anybody. And I don't think Randy trusted too many people. So, uh, again, I have nothing, uh, no personal memories of him because we did not have a relationship. But I have total respect for his in-ring in career, his promos, and the whole persona that he created. And... You know, when Randy was at its hottest, and, you know, he was getting hot down there in Memphis, and then Vince got him up there in the WWF, and that's when he had his hellacious run that he did. And back down in WCW, it wasn't bad either. And then when I got hot, you know, in WWF, you know, he was gone down in WCW. So we just never crossed paths when the window could have happened for us both to jump through and enter into a high-level, intense program. Because one thing I've always appreciated about Macho Man Randy Savage was just his intensity in the ring. You yes, never saw that guy just kind of not be on edge. I mean, he was edgy from the get-go, whether it's a promo or whatever. And he always had that tick where he kind of shook his arms and was part of the persona. And you just believed. I mean, now, dude, when you say Randy Macho Man Savage, there really wasn't any difference to me, and I barely knew the guy, between Randy and Macho. 
They were the same. The dude was intense. So to think what could have happened between, you know, the badass, toughest SOB in the history of the WWF, Stone Cold, against the legendary Macho Man, yes, the promos would have been epic. The matches would have indeed been off the page. And I always think of what it would have been like to wrestle with a guy who I enjoyed watching as much as I did in Randy Savage. You know, I'll be honest with you, Tony. Savage loves his father more than he loves life himself. And that's the way it should be. And Flair maybe has stepped over the line one too many times this time. Because Savage doesn't care about pinning him or making him give up. Savage wants to destroy this man. And that's the bottom line. Yep, that, that's that's well put. Bobby and I wonder, if he, if, I wonder if Flair realized what he has done and who he's done it to. I, I'd rather have anybody after me than Savage after me for beating up his old man. And you found intensity with the Macho Man Randy Savage from an intense person already. And Sonny Steve just driving the elbows in, or making the shoulders in, and now a right hand to the side of the jaw, and now stomping away on the Macho Man Randy Savage. Looking for, looking for some excitement in your life? Snap Randy's dad's back. Oh, no. <laughs> oh now that's funny. I'll tell you something about this Austin, you know, after recovering from that leg injury, he's had nothing but tough opponents, and he hasn't backed down from one. Truly one of the finest competitors this sport has ever seen, Stunning Steve, tag team champion many times over, world television champion many times over. Back with the Colonel. Oh, oh. Missed, oh. I don't know how much should have landed on that knee. Threw him on the outside, and now Savage going after him. The Macho Man chasing Stunning Steve. Oh! Right into our Slim Jim ring post. And right near the gallery. Like we said, a newfound intensity with the Macho Man. Oh! Randy Savage. He snapped him into that one, didn't he? I'm telling you, I want you to do something, Tony. I want you to look at Savage's eyes. I want you to look at the Savage's eyes right now and from now on until he gets his hands on Flair if he ever does. This man is possessed. Here he goes! He's going! If it connects, he'll move on in the tournament! He did! One, One two, two, yes! Three. Now, if you're curious who actually won this tournament, well, let me just give you a couple of details. Sting had defeated Paul Orndorff. Mang defeated Brian Pillman. Macho Man Randy Savage defeated Austin, as you just heard. And Ric Flair defeated Alex Wright. So the semifinals were Ric Flair versus Randy Savage and Sting versus Ming. Winners of each of those matches would go on to the final. Now, there was a problem. Randy Savage and Ric Flair went to a no contest, so neither one of them advanced to the final. Sting versus Ming originally was a semifinal match. The winner of that match was supposed to take on the winner of Savage and Flair. So since Savage and Flair did not advance, they decided to make Sting versus Ming the finals for the tournament, and Sting won the tournament. Wrapping up 1995, still, you know, just someone, I think, who is underappreciated, you know, a lot of people know he was a referee. I don't think they understand how good of a referee he was. Was he, you know, should he be on the Mount Rushmore of referees in our generation? No. But it was this week in 95 that Bill Alfonso debuted in ECW. 
And for those that don't remember the storyline, it was Shane Douglas who brought in Bill Alfonso. He wanted to, uh, you know, clean up ECW, have, you know, the rules enforced. So Shane Douglas brought in his own referee who was representing the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. Bill Alfonso would get on the mic. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. And they actually had him referee a match immediately. I think it involved Dreamer and uh, Stevie Richards and I think a few others, Raven and Bill Alfonso enforcing the rules. Immediate heel. Then he got into the heel storyline with Todd Gordon and ultimately would manage Sabu, would manage, he wasn't even a manager, he was just doing referee, managed Taz, he just was phenomenal, you know, was he awesome, you know, was he great, I mean, just at Hall of Fame, I don't know, but definitely one of the biggest heels in ECW history, I, I, I'm serious, you go back and you watch ECW from this point on until End of 95, even up to the point when he fought that match against Beulah McGillicuddy, the amount of heat that this man had was just incredible. And this is a guy who was a referee. So to go from that to this heel character and then a referee, Bill Alfonso deserves a lot more respect and a lot more appreciation than what's given. I'm not saying that fans don't appreciate him, but you don't hear anybody really you know, showing props to this guy like he should. 1996, we learned this week that WCW would be expanding Monday Nitro to, to, to a two-hour show, and it would start on May 27th. And that was a big deal, because on May 27th, it's Nitro in 1996, what happened that night on a two-hour show? We'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks when we get to it. That's when Scott Hall showed up. You know, you want a war, you got it. Now, they didn't expand the two hours because of Scott Hall. That was the network that wanted a bigger show. At this time, WCW aired one hour from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. But this week in 95, I think it was the week before and the week after that, we were forced to watch WCW from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. because it was preempted due to the NBA playoffs. In fact, later on in the show... Uh, I will get into a moment that took place in history this week that I honestly think that preempting WCW programming in favor of the NBA playoffs might have uh, been one too many. And I don't think WCW ever recovered from it. And I will come with facts. We'll get into that a little bit later. Now, also this week in 1996, we had controversy on TV Look at the screenshot for this week's synopsis. The photo of Goldust, Mick Foley as Mankind and The Undertaker says it all. You know, Goldust really, really pushing the envelope with, uh, you know, his character, very sexual. Well, they were doing an, uh, a feud between Goldust and The Undertaker. And this week, Goldust, you know, just really trying to make his opponents uncomfortable. They did a segment on TV where Goldust was um, just showing a lot of uh, erotica to Undertaker. And what I mean by that was Goldust actually licked the Undertaker's leg and took his tongue and rode it up Undertaker's leg, up his thigh. And then 
later on, Mick Foley would get involved. And then there's, a, there's an infamous photo where Mick Foley is giving a mandible claw to Undertaker while Goldust is licking Mankind's ear, I think it was, or, or side of his face. And it was so um, controversial. I don't know if, I'm pretty sure it was USA Network that made this decision. Because remember, WWF was doing everything they can to do attitude. I mean, they were really trying to push the envelope. So I think this was more of a USA Network decision. But they ended up editing a large part of that segment where Goldust was licking Undertaker's leg. It cuts away. You don't see that on television. Somebody, you know, snapped a photo later. Uh, but you really can't see, you know, what he was doing. But, you know, it just was, at that time, it was just too controversial. And the funny thing is, not too long ago, Mick Foley was uh, just paying tribute to Goldust, who recently left WWE. And he posted that same photo of Goldust licking uh, Mankind's face while he's giving The Undertaker a mandible claw. And Foley wanted to pay tribute to Goldust. And actually when he posted the photo, promoted it on Facebook. So, you know, it was going to pay money so more people could see it and give a little appreciation to the Goldust character. And Facebook felt that the photo was too sexually suggestive and turned down Mick Foley's request. Wrapping up 1996, AAA had their Triple Mania 4 event from the International Amphitheater in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Aruño, Caris Lamomia, and The Killer over Blue Demon Jr., Mascara Sagrada Jr., and El Torero, Torero. Jerry Estrada and Juventud Guerrero of El Pantera and Supercalo. Cibernético, Masco de la Merced, and El Picudo over La Parca Octagon and Ultimo Dragon. And the main event, a lumberjack match, Conan and Pero Aguayo defeated Cien Caras and Piroff Jr., 1997, WWF has their In Your House pay-per-view, A Cold Day in Hell that was In Your House 15. Took place from Richmond, Virginia. Dark match, Rockabilly over Jesse James. You had Hunter Hurst, Helmsley over Flash Funk. Mankind over Rocky Maivia. The Nation of Domination, which was Crush, Farouk, and Savio Vega over Ahmed Johnson. It was a gauntlet match. In the end, Ahmed Johnson would lose. Ken Shamrock over Vader. Undertaker retains the WWF Heavyweight title, defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin. And a post-pay-per-view dark match, the Legion of Doom over Owen Hart and the British Bulldog by DQ. So the WWF tag titles do not change hands. Same week, in fact, the next night on Monday Night Raw, uh, we had three memorable segments take place. Actually, four. Now, one of them really could not play here because it's a visual. If anybody remembers that infamous moment where Bret Hart was in the middle of the ring in a wheelchair making an announcement, Shawn Michaels would interrupt him, and then Shawn Michaels would give Bret Hart the super kick. Bret Hart would fall backwards into the wheelchair and it's just an awesome visual. It's, you know, a moment that everybody remembers to this day. That took place this week in 97 on Raw. Three other moments happened on that same episode of Raw this week in 97 I'm going to share with you. They're, they're all pretty quick. First, let's get into this one. It was this week in 97 on Raw that Rob Van Dam made his WWF debut. Now, at this time, he was still uh, announced as, you know, part of ECW. 
This was right during that storyline where WWF invaded ECW. Lawler had showed up. Jim Cornette showed up one time. They had uh, the WWF versus ECW flag match. Well, this week on Raw, RVD would make his debut. And here's the match. And by the way, in case you forgot who his opponent was, it was Jeff Hardy. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. About to come down the aisle from Battle Creek, Michigan. Weighing 234 pounds, Rob Van Dam. And his opponent, from Virginia. Weighing 220 pounds, Jeff Hardy. Give me that microphone, Finkel. Let me tell you something. The last time I saw something look like you, I flushed it. Why don't you go to Vince McMahon and borrow one of his toupees instead of coming in out here and looking like an idiot? Get out of here. Now, all of you morons saw me come out here a few weeks ago and talk a little bit about ECW. Yeah. Extremely crappy wrestling. That's what it stands for. I was the only man that had the guts to tell you idiots the truth about ECW. How much it stinks up until now. Now I've found another man who has actually been in the ECW and you have come to find out, Rob Van Dam, exactly how low, how cheap, how rotten the ECW is. Is that right? What you're saying, Jerry Lawler, is complete fact. ECW is nothing but low-budgeted, very low-talented wannabes that cannot hold on to someone with the extreme talents of Rob Van Dam. That's right, and I'll tell you what, I got so much confidence in this man now that he is in the big time, baby. The World Wrestling Federation, leave those punks behind. This man is gonna be, he's gonna be called Mr. Monday Night, I guarantee you, Mr. Monday Night, hey, take care of this little uh, John Bon Jovi wannabe, whatever he is right here. Well, uh, what a surprise, Rob Van Dam on the active ECW roster, or at least he was until tonight. I'm sure that his presence here uh, has not been cleared with uh, ECW officials. And, well, Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam, and I'm sure that that Paul Heyman in ECW is not going to be very happy that one of his competitors is on. Can you believe that? Hey, don't even talk about Paul E. Dangerously or, as you said, Paul Heyman, because nobody cares about the ECW, and certainly Mr. Monday Night doesn't care about him anymore because he's in the big time now. Look at that. Did you see that? Huh? Very nicely executed spinning uh, martial arts kick by Rob Van Dam, and I, I would suspect that uh, Mr. Van Dam's tenure in ECW may be limited. Oh my! Wow. What a suicidal move! A suicide punch up over the top. That was an outstanding move by Mr. Monday Night. There you go. You got it right for a change, JR. Mr. Monday Night, he's a little disoriented now, but there's that punk right there. Get a hold of him. Sling him in there. Hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. All of those, is it, what do you call them, low budgets? All of those low budgets. What's this? ECW, yeah, look at this. Wow. 
One more time. Look at that. Oh. No hands. Well, that'll leave a mark, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Very impressed. Rob Van Dam, or should I say, Probably, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Monday, Mr. Night. Monday Night. Very impressive. But... Listen to these idiots. You sold out. What are you talking about? He sold out. He's moving on up, baby. He's with the big time now. Well, this young man certainly agreeing with Jerry Lawler and Lawler's evaluation of the ECW. I'm sick and tired of hearing all these morons. Wow, did you see that? What elevation. Well, that was a Jimmy Snooker-like Hall of Fame slice. Not better than Jimmy Right Snooker. off the top. Well, it was reminiscent of Jimmy Snook. That was a great move. I'm tired of hearing all these morons, especially these idiots up in the Philadelphia area, talk about how great ECW is. Big deal. They run in a bingo hall, and they draw about a thousand people. In Philadelphia, you can draw a That split leg yeah. moonsault was a beautiful move, and Mr. Monday Night may not be welcome back at ECW. Look at him impressive tonight. You think he cares? Hey, Paul Dangerously, eat your heart out. You lost the only piece of talent your little crummy organization has ever had. Take a look at this one more time. Watch the elevation. Wow! Bang! And then look at this, Ross. Mr. Monday Night. Great flexibility, great athleticism by Mr. Monday Night, who may not be too welcome back in ECW. He's not going back to ECW. He's in the World Wrestling Federation. He's Mr. Monday Night. On that same night, we had uh, the racism angle in the WWF really pushed to another level. And over the next three weeks, we will definitely be talking about it. Because, you know, there's some very important moments in this storyline that took place next couple of weeks. First, it was this week on uh, Raw. Now, remember the pay-per-view, Cold Day in Hell. We had Farouk win uh, that gauntlet match against Ahmed Johnson. So Farouk was now number one contender for the WWF Championship. So him, uh, along with the Nation of Domination, was in the ring with Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon goes to interview Farouk. And uh, this is what happened. Well, here comes Farouk. Maybe he'll give us a little insight of what he was thinking when he sacrificed J.C. Ice and Whoopi D to the Legion of Doom. Well, it certainly was a sacrifice, to say the least. How does it feel to be the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation Championship? Oh, it feels great. I shouldn't have to tell you how it feels. You've seen number one contenders come out here before. Our man Johnson gave it everything he had last night. But no, that wasn't good enough. You know, that was then, and this is now. And I'll tell you what time it is now. It's time for Farouk to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. And speaking of that, let me ask you a long-awaited question. When was the last time that the World Wrestling Federation had a black man to wear that belt? Can you answer that for me? Answer that question. 
No. Never. No, you can't answer that. You know why? Because you, there never has been one. Oh, you, you've had token black tape position of intercontinental champion like Ahmed Johnson for a short period of time. Oh, you've had U.S. champions like Bobo Brazil with the U.S. belt for a short period of time. No, I'll tell you what. And speaking of that, when was the recent chance that Ahmed Johnson had a shot to become the World Wrestling Federation champion? Tell me that. Can you answer that? No, you can't, because you people don't feel a black man is worthy of winning the World Wrestling Federation title. You don't feel a black man is worthy of being champion of the WWF. But you do feel a black man is worthy of washing your car. You do feel a black man is worthy of washing your clothes. You do think a black man is worthy of even raising your kids. But let me tell you something. Those were those days, and this is a different day and age. You see? No longer are we marching up and down the street wearing our shoes. No longer are we calling radio stations complaining. We are taking matters into our own hands. When I get to swinging these fists and kicking these feet, you understand that, don't you? Huh? You understand that, right? Everyone understands that. And this has nothing to do with being black. What's the matter with you? Oh, it has everything to do with being black. You tell me when was the last time a black man had a shot at being the World Wrestling Federation champion. There has never been one. But I tell you what, at King of the Ring, King Farouk will live again. Because you see, your white savior, the Undertaker, will be a dead man. Don't you feel these comments are racist? Listen, I didn't come out here to be a role model for anybody, but I'll guarantee you this. Some little black kid, a little black girl sitting at home right now, feel the pain and the anger that I feel. No longer are we sitting back being pacifist. We are going to take matters into our own hands, and that means by any means necessary. Make sure you check out next week's synopsis photos, because next week they really push the racism element uh, in a more pictorial way. You'll see what I'm talking about. But also on this same show, we had a segment with Dustin Reynolds, Goldust. And very recently, we had those segments where they were highlighting Mick Foley's you know, life and his career, those backstage segments, which ended up having Mick Foley give the mandible claw to Jim Ross. Awesome, excellent, the way they did it. They did one in the same fashion with Dustin Reynolds. And I know we've talked about this before, but with the passing of Dusty Rhodes, listening to this again, it's a little extra special. I think you'll appreciate it. Here is the segment that aired on Raw this week, back in 97, uh, Dustin Reynolds talking about Goldust and his father, who was employed at the time with WCW. Last week, we learned that the creation of Goldust was a direct result of Dustin Runnels' lifelong journey to escape his father's shadow and assume an identity of his own. But now that Goldust has been outed, what's next for the most bizarre and controversial superstar in WWF history? I just want to have some fun with this character that's, and, and take care of my family. You know, that's, that's the main thing. Entertain the people. I mean, it, when it's time to work, work. And, and entertain 110% than people. Like I know I can. And when it's time for family, give them the attention that they need. Goldust's goal is to, every time I walk through that curtain and the, the people are screaming, hollering, whatever, for me, it's, it's time to turn it on. It's time to, to uh, put on a show and to entertain them people into where they, when, they when, when the show's over and they leave the building, they say, man, not uh, 
taken away from anybody else, but that dull dust, he really was something tonight. Man, that match he had tonight, that was so entertaining. That's what I want. That, that makes me feel good. It, it feels real good when you go out there and they're, they're screaming and yelling and to where you can't even barely hear yourself, you know, and get goosebumps just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. As the son of an American legend, young Dustin found himself competing with fans and the demand of the road for his father's time and attention. Ironically, now Dustin finds himself in a similar position with his three-year-old daughter, Dakota. In, in any relationship or any household, I think family should come first. You know, there were, there were things that, uh, that happened in the past with me that, that I can't change, you know, that I have to let go and, and, and let them be. But I can certainly make sure that for Dakota's sake, they will definitely, definitely not happen. I just want that when I'm 70 years old and crippled and sitting in an old rocking chair, lazy boy watching TV with my clicker, I want her to still feel like she can come sit in my lap. The greatest, the greatest night of my life was, was when uh, Terry or Marlena and I were walking to the ring and I saw her to the left there and I didn't know she was in the crowd. And uh, she, um, she put her hand on her chest like I do, you know, and she, she went like that and I went, oh my God, you know, she is mimicking me, you know, and I remember when I used to do that with my dad and it was just like, uh, I just looked up to him so much, you know, and here she was looking up to me. And uh, it just, it was the greatest feeling in the world. Dustin Reynolds is living his version of the American dream. Finally emerging from his father's shadow, no one will soon forget the name Gold Dust, nor Dustin Reynolds. But the accomplishments Dustin is most proud of are being a good husband and a loving father. Now as a grown man, deep inside, there's still a young boy who seeks his father's approval. If you're watching Dad and, and, and all those years that uh, I looked up to you and wanted to to be just like you and, and sitting in the back and where you would you would place me in, in, in the back of the arena and you'd walk to the ring and I mean you were just you were you were bigger than life. And I wanted to be just like you. And that's why I wanted to live with you. I didn't have you, and I got that chance. And I became a professional wrestler. It was the hardest damn thing in, in, in my entire life to, to do, to pull it off, but I did. Nobody, nobody's gonna take that away from me. Whether I was Dustin Rhodes, and now as I'm gold dust, there's nobody on the face of this planet that can do gold dust like I can do. And that's a fact. So I hope to God that you are proud of me. So I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of my family. And I love my family very much. I love you, Dad. Just a little tidbit. Almost a year to the day later uh, on Raw, Dustin Rhodes would take his gold dust gear, throw it in uh, some garbage can and set it on fire burned his outfit and that would lead to the next controversial storyline with gold dust 1998 eric bischoff 
comes out on Monday Night Raw, makes a challenge to a certain someone. Now, up until this point, you know, NWO, WCW, you know, kicking WWF's ass, but the tide started to change and we would have, you know, DX make those challenges, showing up at WCW, Turner, and uh, Eric Bischoff, you know, to try to counter it, came out on Nitro and we had the WCW Slamboree pay-per-view coming up in Worcester. So, Eric Bischoff decides to publicly challenge Vince McMahon to a fight and see if Vince McMahon had the balls to show up on pay-per-view to take on Eric Bischoff. Oh, I feel nothing, nothing but love here tonight from each and every one of you. Thank you all for loving me. But you know, as I look through the crowd tonight, I wonder what you must be thinking. And I wonder what Vince McMahon is thinking. You know, because for the last couple of weeks, he's been sending his little wannabes around Demanding to talk to moi. Problem with that is, he only sends them where he knows I'm not going to be. But that's okay, because I've got a solution. Sean Waltman, you want an apology from me? You actually show up at our offices on a Monday afternoon when I think you probably got it figured out, even you, Sean, are smart enough to figure out I probably won't be there. And as far as the apology goes, bite me. I apologize to no one. But I've got a better idea. Because Sean, I know you're just a little puppet. You do what Vince McMahon tells you to do. So Vince McMahon, this is for you. I'm coming to your backyard this Sunday. That's right, where's some ass? Got a little pay-per-view thing going on. And I got a hell of an idea. Just a hell of an idea. You want me? I'm gonna be in your backyard. Consider this an open invitation, Vince McMahon. You show up at Slamboree It'll be me and you, McMahon, in the ring. Well, he's got me with that one. I buy a ticket. How about it, Vinny? But I want to warn you people right now. If you think Vince McMahon has got the guts to show up, don't buy this pay-per-view, because I guarantee you he is not man enough to step into the ring with moi. But I'll be there, Vinnie Mac. I'll be waiting for you, and I'm going to knock you out. See you there. Now, what's funny is when Slamboree took place, early in the night, as fans were going in the building, 
Eric Bischoff had made photocopies of, I guess, maybe a page or two from a WWF magazine. And the picture showed like Steve Austin, Sean Waltman, Vince McMahon. And basically what he was doing, he was they were telling the fans, look, if you spot this guy, Vince McMahon, to let WCW know, like if you spot him anywhere near the building. You know, I don't know how they would have let them know, but it was just, I mean, it was funny the way it went down. Of course, Vince McMahon would not show up. You know, what would have happened if he did? Would have been really interesting. This week as well, 1998, we had a little bit of controversy. Now, keep in mind, the internet's only around for a short period of time. And probably one of the biggest mistakes that People Magazine would do so early on is to uh, do a voting online. Um, Now, remember, this is 1998. Things were still very primitive. They decided to do online voting so fans could pick who would be the most beautiful person in the world. Every year, People Magazine would come out with their top 50 most beautiful people in the world. So this week in 98... You know, we had the results of the online voting. Now, what happens is you got, you know, it shows like Howard Stern and they're basically telling all their viewers, go on People Magazine's website and vote for Hank, the drunken dwarf. A couple of weeks earlier, we heard that Ric Flair was getting a lot of votes. So fans got behind Ric Flair and were voting him the most beautiful person in the world. Now, at this time, Leonardo DiCaprio was considered, for most, the most beautiful person in the world. He ended up coming in, I think, third place that year. So this week in 98, when we learned the results, okay, in third place, who should have won it, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio got 14,471 votes. In second place was Ric Flair. I don't have the total votes that Ric Flair got, but Ric Flair did come in second place, but in first place with 230,169 votes. Actually, no, I do have Ric Flair's vote count. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio got 14,471. Ric Flair got 17,145. And Hank the Drunken Dwarf from Howard Stern won it with 230,169 votes. 230,000. Ric Flair in second with 17,000. You've never seen Hank the Drunken Dwarf do a Google image search, and then you understand why uh, online voting was changed of many ways after this. Big mistake by People Magazine doing that. Now, wrapping up 1998, you know, look, you go online, you see people covering this, they rip the fuck out of it. And they always talk about how, oh, one match aired, you know, is high voltage versus public enemy in the rain and blah, 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 blah. What a fiasco. Look, it was a disaster because it was raining. But the whole premise of it was to give WCW a lot of exposure on MTV. And the most important part of this entire special, nobody brings up because They just see it on a different website. They copy it. They'll change a couple of the words to make it look like they're writing it themselves. Now, this week in 98, we had MTV air special uh, called the Ultimate Music Video Feud. This was WCW basically having matches from Chelsea Pier in New York City, Manhattan. And um, you would have wrestlers representing an artist in a music video. 
And it's funny because you see people writing about it today. They're like, oh, they frauded fans because they wanted fans to call a 900 number to vote for the bands with the winners advancing in a tournament and blah, 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 blah. And the final winner would be the MTV champion. Yay! My God. In wrestling history, do you know how many times they've used 900 lines to do voting for <laughs> predetermined, you know, come on. I talked earlier about Kurt Anning versus Jerry Lawler. You know, they, come on, seriously, fraud? Come on, people thought they were taking part in something. That's the way it was. You'd have a wrestler representing Madonna. You'd have a wrestler representing Will Smith and this is an ad and blah, 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 blah. Well, what ended up happening was the whole premise of this was to really intensify the feud between Raven and Diamond Dallas Page. And if you remember the infamous time that Raven attacked Diamond Dallas Page on MTV television, you know, it all started on this day. And the footage from this, I don't think we'll ever see, be especially in the WWE Network, because number one, with copyright, they ain't fucking doing anything representing artists. The second thing is, um, during the attack, uh, Raven and Diamond Dallas Page. Diamond Dallas Page was hanging uh, Raven from, Raven was outside the ring and Diamond Dallas Page looked like he was hanging him. I mean, it was a beautiful visual, but when it comes to hanging people and WWE's not showing any of that. But that's really what this was designed for, to really set up the feud with Diamond Dallas Page and Raven, which would be featured on MTV later on. It was great. This, I Look, it sucked that it rained. And yeah, the whole idea is outdated. You can't look at it now, 20 some odd years later, and judge it. Back then, it wasn't all that bad. Show me the websites and the fucking places out there back in 98 that ripped the, this thing to pieces. The only thing that they would criticize at the time was the weather. Anyway, if you're interested as well, it was this week in 98 that Steve Austin appeared on TSN's Off the Record. And um, it was a pretty damn good episode. Now, you know, Michael Landsberg, he tries his hardest to get wrestlers to break kayfabe. 98 wasn't easy to do for a lot of performers, Steve Austin being one of them. So you could see how Landsberg is trying to get him to break. And, you know, it's not all that successful. But still, I, I enjoyed the interview tremendously. So now we go to 1999. Can't spend a lot of time on this. Otherwise, we're going to end up with a four-hour show. But it was this week in 99 that Sable was pretty much written off TV. Um, she would leave WWF a short time after, sue them for $110 million claiming sexual harassment and unsafe working conditions. And a lot of what she was claiming really did happen. And the infamous story you've heard over the years of, uh, well, a lot of people report that Sean Waltman shit in Sable's bag. It's not exactly the way it went down. But first, let's talk about this week. At the time, Sable had already appeared in Playboy, had the opportunity to do so again. Playboy was offering her an insane amount of money. I don't know if it was 600000 700000 800000 but um, WWF owned the rights to the Sable name. WWF wanted a big cut. I'm really generalizing this, but I'm just giving you this just premise of it. Wanted a cut. Um, too much of it did not 
come to an agreement. Also at the time, Sable was getting a tremendous amount of heat backstage to the point where at a lot of events, her and her husband at the time, Mark Merrill, they would keep their bags on a different side of the arena. So there was just a lot of problems going on. Um, She was very uncomfortable doing a lot of the sexual stuff in the ring, refused to do any more evening gown matches. And at this time, she was pretty much on her way out. So uh, she was the women's champion. And at that time, she told WWF and Vince McMahon that I am not doing any more evening gown matches. I don't want, you know, anybody, you know, uh, insulting me, you know, like really getting sexual on me and saying anything really over the top and perverse. And WWF, I guess, had agreed to this. And as you will hear in a moment, this week on Raw, we had a uh, evening gown match for the women's title, Deborah versus Sable. Now, just listen close to some of the remarks from Shawn Michaels, and you could understand that some of what he said pretty much, you know, that and the shit found in the bag and other things just, you know, just put it over the top for Sable. Here, first, here's the match. something, all right, which what's inside the gowns with our great kid wants to see. I was just thinking how nice that gown would look on the floor beside mine or your bed, huh? Well, not a want to say, but it's been there. But what I mean, a minute. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, 1-800-COLLECT presents WWF Over the Edge. It's just two weeks away, Sunday night, May 23rd, exclusively on pay-per-view. 1-800-COLLECT. Save a buck or two. Sean, do you like puppies? I love puppies. Stop, 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 to address or undress maybe. <laughs> this is for all the women who want to be me mm. and for all the men 
boys ready for the grind? Yes! Ready, ready! Woohoo! I can't hear you! I'm ready! Can we get a close up of the grind, JR? She certainly sure does seem comfortable with that look, microphone look, look, look. up in her mouth like that. Oh, oh, oh! King, oh. King, you all right? You, oh. look a little, you look a little flushed. Baby! This is an interesting mix we have here now. Wait a minute, Sean, what's up with this? Was he part of this match? No, sir, it wasn't, but it's Val's Venus. Val Venus has been somewhat smitten with that young lady, Deborah, and I think the feeling is mutual. Yeah, but we all know who's smitten with Val. Nicole, that, yeah, Nicole. That other guy. <laughs> Quickie before, you know, his cat on here in the World Wrestling Federation. Gotta learn how some staying power like the Heartbreak Kid. Well, Nicole uh, apparently has her sights set now on Val Venus. And Sable, look at that! Shouldn't mess with another Man alive! Jeff Jarrett just, he just, what a shot with that guitar on Val! I see, I, Michael Cole's up in the ring. I see, I see, I don't know. Sable. I think I got things so bad. What are you going to do? Well, I got to go here. Sable, you didn't come to Raw tonight expecting to defend the women's championship, but defend it, you did. Where's Sean going? Well, you know, Michael. I now. First of all, step off, mister. <laughs> That's from the commissioner of the WWF, Sean Michaels. Now, being the old commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, I see an evening gown match a little bit differently. I see the rules just a smidge differently than you do, Sable. See, as far as I'm concerned, with puppies like that. Yeah, boy. We love puppies. Especially ones we haven't even seen already. I figure the woman who gets her evening gown taken off is the winner. So, what? ladies and gentlemen, the new Women's World Wrestling Federation what? champion, Deborah. Around this time as well, and here's another audio clip. We had the WWF have an event overseas. Sable went overseas with the crew. 
once again, keeping their bags in a different area away from the other wrestlers. And uh, Sean Waltman, uh, I guess, found her bags or somebody had located their bags. And as you will hear, because of the amount of heat that she was getting be behind the scenes, Sean Waltman would take a cup, scoop up some shit, and uh, put it in Sable's bag. And apparently she didn't even know about it until they got back to the United States. Back in the day, you got to admit, Steve, Sable had a scorching fucking heat with the boys. Yeah, she had a little heat. Yeah, come on. I mean, with some of the, like, she was claiming to be the reason why the company was doing so good, things like that. But, like, you know, now it's a little awkward because I was buddies with Brock, and he knew the story about this before. But now, you know, they're together, so now i got to worry about Brock kicking the shit out of me. But, uh, you know, we were at a pay-per-view in England, and, okay, it was well known that that was Sable and Mark's last day in with the company in general. Right. And they did the same-ass thing. They hid their shit across the other side of the uh, Wembley Arena. So, we, you know, we planned things out. There was a turd hidden in a, in a cup this time. <laughs> and... Uh, Somebody went on recon and found out the location of uh, the luggage and everything. And um, I was at gorilla position, ready to go out for my match with Shane McMahon, like one of the top matches on the pay-per-view. And uh, I said, I got to piss. And I fucking ran as hard as I could, Steve. I got the fucking cup. And then I ran to where they said the all their stuff was and I couldn't find it and so I ran around a little bit and the whole time I'm going oh fuck anytime my music's playing I finally I found it I made the deposit and I fucking ran as fast as I could back to Gorilla my music started playing boom I walked through the curtain went and had my fucking match and uh, somebody else got the blame for it <laughs> and she carried it all the way back uh, and, and found it uh, when they got home in Jacksonville through customs and everything. So it got through customs. Yeah, international shit smuggler. So <laughs> Jr., you know, he's just doing his job. We're we're uh, doing an appearance at Planet Hollywood and Mall of America, and he's like, "Yeah, somebody shit in Sable's bag. She's not too happy about it." And the lawyer's talking about getting DNA samples, and I laughed my ass up. I'm like, "He's like, you don't know who did it, do you?" And I'm like, "I can't answer that question, that question, Jim." <laughs> And I'm laughing. I'm going, what are they going to do? Everybody shit in a bucket and take a DNA sample? And uh, I remember we got back from from the trip, and we sat down at Vince, and, you know, uh, I forget who it was. Maybe Hunter or somebody actually made the comment to Vince. Yeah, the food was a shit's in Europe. And Vince just said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just got up and walked away. <laughs> now. One other thing about this night on Raw. Ended up being the highest rated Raw in the history of the show. 8.1 rating. Holy shit. 8.1. 10 million viewers for part of that show. How could they do 8.1? Well, number one, WCW did not air that night. Preempted once again for the NBA playoffs. And as I said earlier, one preemption too many. When you are getting a lot of momentum 
This was the time where you couldn't even afford to take a week off because you didn't want your WCW viewers that maybe don't watch Raw on a regular basis decide to start tuning in. And that's what happened. In my opinion, WCW never recovered. I'm going to give you some proof right now. Now, if you think of the matches that aired this week on Raw, that's got an 8.1 rating. You know, some of them sound pretty good. Some of them, you're like, all right, uh, here's the results from that night. And I'm obviously not including the skits. Billy, Con- Billy Gunn and Kane fought to a no contest. Big Show and Paul Barra fought to a no contest. Deborah over Sable, to, uh, you know, reverse decision to win the women's championship. Big Boss Man over Test in a nightstick on a pole match. In a handicap hardcore match, Cactus Jack over Viscera Midian. You had Bradshaw and Farouk. They fought to a no contest. Patterson Briscoe over the Mean Street Posse in a Loser Leaves WWF match. Jeff Jarrett over Val Venus. China and Ken Shamrock fought to a no contest. In the main event, The Rock, Steve Austin, and Vince McMahon over the corporate ministry of Triple H, Shane McMahon, and The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, special guest referee. Not a bad show, but, you know, it felt like a regular Raw. Well, I want everybody to hear the ratings for Raw. From February of 99 until this week when it got an 8-1. Now, you may say, why did you choose February 99? February 8th to be exact. Well, on February 8th, 1999, three months earlier, WWF was preempted. So fans tuned in more to see WCW. WCW at the time was averaging about a four rating. And you could almost see the same exact pattern. They average about a four rating. So that night on Nitro, because WWF was not on, their rating that night went all the way up to a 5.7. So WCW saw a huge bump that night. So when you hear the bump that WWF got when Nitro wasn't on, the bump is almost the same. It's almost the same. The difference is WWF was on a huge momentum and WCW was on a huge decline. So anyway, the ratings for WWF from February 8th, 99 to this week with that record rating was 59, 55, 63, Pretty steady ratings leading up to it. Now, once that episode aired, unopposed to WCW, listen to the ratings that ended up for the next two months after that night for Raw. Six four seven two six three six seven six seven six zero six eight six two. So they had quite a few weeks that had a big jump before the unopposed night. Now WCW, check this out. When they ran unopposed in February eighth of ninety nine, they had a five point seven rating. Now they dropped down to the low to mid, low fours, which is pretty much what they were averaging. Now watch what happens when they were preempted that night for the NBA playoffs. First, their ratings from February 8th, 99 to May 3rd of 99. 57-39-48-43-44-43-40-35-43-44-41-39-34. All right, pretty consistent. So now they go unopposed. Raw. WCW is not on. What was WCW's ratings for the next two months after that one week being off, 3831333313133. Think about that. 
They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They had nine ratings before that that were over a four. After that, they never broke past three six. And they only did three six once. Well, they broke three eight and three six. After that it was three one, three two, three three. They never recovered. It's just you see that one week, that's all it took. And you had people like, you know what? Fuck WCW. Maybe they watched the replay at eleven. But, you know, if anybody knows anything about advertising, you understand that, you know, prime time is what's needed. So now, that same week, U.S. News and World Report issues their um, May 17th issue. Comes out on sale May 17th. People that ordered through the mail got it a few days earlier. They did a seven-page article on pro wrestling and how it exploded in revenue and popularity. And the piece was pretty much focused around WWF of Vince McMahon. Val Venus was on the cover of U.S. News and World Report. On the cover. That just gives you an idea how big it had become. Amazing. Wrapping up 1999, we had a lot of controversy this week as well. People started to find out about Chastity. Remember her in ECW and WCW? Um, She would uh, be revealed to have done a blowjob scene in the triple X uh, movie live bait. I still have the VHS tape inside. I'm one of the few still have it to this day. Once we found out about it, I bought it in 99. I got it in a box somewhere. And uh, yeah. And the funny thing is, is that the producer who is now very famous in the adult industry, Jules Jordan at that time, I had no idea that she was involved in wrestling. And later on, when he did interviews, he said, you know what? She was supposed to be in some other scenes as well, but she showed up late. So they only had to do that one blowjob scene. So just a little tidbit. Wrapping up 1999, WCW has a slamboree pay-per-view from St. Louis, Missouri. Dark match, Johnny Swinger over Dale Torborg. You had uh, Raven and Perry Saturn win the tag titles, defeating Kidman and Mysterio, who had the belts, and the revolution of Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Conan over Stevie Ray. Bam Bam Bigelow over Brian Nobbs. Rick Steiner wins the U.S. title, uh, excuse me, the TV title over Booker T. Gorgeous George over Charles Robinson. Blah. For the United States Championship, Scott Steiner retains, defeating Buff Bagwell. Roddy Piper over Ric Flair. Bill Goldberg went to a no contest against Sting. And for the World Heavyweight title, Kevin Nash wins the belt, defeating Diamond Dallas Page. 2000, uh, if you want to watch it, only runs two or three minutes, but I think it's a great uh, just highlight and a great example of what, you know, the APA was at that time. They did a skit in a bar where the APA just beat the fuck out of Bull Buchanan and Big Boss Man. Cases of beer, pull sticks, people getting thrown to walls, doors. It's a lot of fun. And it only lasts two and a half minutes. You see what they do in two and a half minutes. Wow. Trust me. Hey man, leave y'all in our seats. These are chairs. We done told you one time. We're sitting in them all night long. I don't think you understand, boys. I think you're in our seats. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on, man. All that stuff's water under the bridge. Hey, we've drinking all night. Hey, I got a better out here. I got a better out here. Why don't we buy a drink set?
Team King to clear this place out. Oh, oh, King, maybe the acolytes should just stay at their own uh, APA office in the, we got, oh, instead of visiting local taverns. Yeah, these, these guys don't lose too many bar fights, and they haven't lost this one either. Sound like the local drugs are enjoying it. <laughs> well, the bar is the acolyte's domain. Also this week in 2000, Miss Elizabeth wrestles for the first time ever. She has her first and second matches in her career. First, she took on Daphne and won by DQ in about 40 seconds. Uh, on Thunder, she ended up pinning Ronda Singh. Now, look, there was a lot of clusterfuck involved. Miss Elizabeth wasn't a wrestler. Lex Luger would get involved. At the time, they were in the storyline with Vince Russo and Miss Elizabeth. Vince Russo playing a major heel. You know, Elizabeth and Lex Luger being over. And, you know, it was what it was. I mean, you know, she wasn't a wrestler, but, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. The following week, she was supposed to take on Medusa but it didn't happen. If you don't remember the storyline, go watch it. And finally, this week in 2000, WCW had this Lambery pay-per-view for Kansas City, Missouri. Remember, at that time, uh, David Arquette was the heavyweight champion. Only lasted, what, about a week? Anyway, for the Cruiserweight Championship, Chris Candido with Tammy Sitch in his corner over the artist to retain Terry Funk retains the hardcore title, defeating Norman Smiley and Ralphus. Sean Stasiak over Kurt Henning. Scott Steiner retains the United States Championship, defeating Captain Hugh G. Rection. Get it? Huge Rection. Huge Erection, excuse me. Mike Awesome versus Chris Canyon went to a no contest. You had uh, Lex Luger with Miss Elizabeth, defeating Buff Bagwell. Yeah, again, another year later. Shane Douglas over Ric Flair, Sting over Vampiro, Hulk Hogan defeats Billy Kidman with Tori in his corner, Eric Bischoff was a special guest referee, and the main event, Jeff Jarrett defeats David Arquette and Diamond Dallas Page in the Ready to Rumble cage match. I was going to share the audio, but watch it. If you're, if you're intrigued enough, watch it. So Jeff Jarrett is your new WCW Heavyweight Champion. 2001, interesting. I don't know how many people even know this. Linda McMahon does an interview with Associated Press this week in 01. During that interview, the XFL is brought up, and they ask her, what's happening with the XFL? There's a lot of rumors that you're going to kill it. She says, no, we're not killing the XFL. We are committed to the XFL. We're working on season two. We're committed. Four days later, the XFL folds. Can I... Add anything to that? No, it folded. It is what it is. It was what it was. The same week we had controversy on WWF television. Uh, they had an episode of Jacked take place. Um, was taped in Long Island. Perry Saturn wrestled on that show, took on Mike Bell. Now, if you've never seen this match, never heard of it before, go online and watch it. Look, botches happen sometimes in the ring. Botchamania. Well, sometimes when the other person feels that their career and their livelihood is put in jeopardy because of uh, extreme sloppiness, it might piss somebody off. Well, Mike Bell pissed off Perry Saturn. And um, just watch how Perry Saturn handles it with Mike Bell. Basically uh, decides to shoot on him and just like, you see what he does to Mike Bell, WWF sent him home. 
would not tolerate that type of behavior. And, uh, you know, it's just watch it and you'll see what I'm talking about. You know, should have Perry Saturn done what he did? No. Mike Bell, he he wrestled for many years before that. You know, but still, you know, that's a sport where, you know, you fall the wrong way and your career could be over. Pissed off, Perry Saturn. 2002, only two days after the plane ride from hell, Scott Hall released from the WWE. He was only back about three or four months. They had done the NWO storyline in the WWF only three or four months earlier. So as quickly as he came in, he was gone. It was a shame. Same year on Raw, as you heard, open up this episode, we had Edge do his best Hulk Hogan impersonation. I think the match that night on Raw was Edge and Hogan taking on Jericho and Kurt Angle. I'm pretty sure that was the match. On SmackDown, though, uh, we had an infamous moment take place and a debut. First, we had on SmackDown, Hogan wrestle Ric Flair again. Now, after the match was over, later in the night, Hulk Hogan is seen in the back being interviewed by Coach. And it was funny because Hogan was wearing his goofy helmet, looked like he was wearing about 10 layers of clothing, this big leather jacket. And he talks about how he's going to ride around, you know, the, uh, the Toronto area. Undertaker attacks him. This was going to set up their pay-per-view match. And Undertaker beats up Hogan. Hogan is laying on the floor in the back. And Undertaker hogties Hulk Hogan, attaches him to his motorcycle, and then proceeds to ride his motorcycle up and down the hallways of the Air Canada Center with Hulk Hogan behind him. And it was so funny. I remember laughing uncontrollably at this segment. Hogan looked like he was having fun. In the end, he would crash into some boxes but it was just a funny, funny-ass segment. I don't know if they were intending to have that level of comedy, but it's just something that I will always remember. But another moment that took place that same night was Batista's main roster debut. Reverend Devon, the spiritual advisor for Vince McMahon, he's got Batista protecting the donation box. Remember that? I look back on it, you know, Batista was getting his feet wet on the main roster. I had no problem with it. Devon, a little uncharted territory with his career, really making chicken salad out of chicken shit. A lot of people did not want the Dudleys to split up. But, um, you know, I actually didn't have too much of a problem of, you know, Batista and uh, Devon being a pair at that time. Wrapping up 2002, it was this week that we got the press release that a new wrestling promotion was going to start on June 19th, 2002. A promotion called NWA Total Nonstop Action. The difference between this promotion and other promotions is that, no, you will not get any free shows on TV, but instead you pay $9.95 a week to watch two hours of pro wrestling on cable. It would be a weekly show. You would pay $9.95 weekly, and uh, Jeff Jarrett at the time, Dixie Carter was not involved yet. And Jeff Jarrett basically saying that they wanted to fill the void of WCW fans that never jumped over to the WWF and for fans that were not happy with the WWF. Sounds a lot like what AEW was going to be doing soon with uh, get towards WWE fans that just 
don't like WWE or maybe uh, want to fill the void of people who just uh, are just no longer interested in TNA. Who knows? But um, at the time, you know, Meltzer, I have talked about this in the past, you know, made a lot of good points that, you know, WWF had a lot of free TV shows that would lead up to pay-per-view. Now you're asking fans to pay almost $40 a month to watch wrestling where WWF's pay-per-views were $34.95. You know, you're starting off new and you're already asking for more money than what even WWF was charging at the time. Um, TNA would have a couple of anniversaries that were important in their programming, as you will hear momentarily on this show. Now we go to 2003, um, two moments that I will always remember. One, you heard at the beginning of the show, and one I think a lot of people forgot about. First, let's get into a little more extended version of what you heard in the beginning. We had... uh, Classy Freddie Blassie come out in a wheelchair and Eric Bischoff uh, was going to interview him talking about his new book that came out, Listen, You Pencil Neck Geeks. And the whole idea was to promote Freddie Blassie's new book. And during the quick interview, Eric Bischoff teases that three-minute warning was going to attack Freddie Blassie. Now, if you watch this segment, pay attention to Freddie Blassie's tongue. (laughs) Just pay attention to the, the tongue, the tongue, the tongue. Just watch it. But uh, as you heard in the beginning, the Dudleys would come out and basically save Freddie Blassie from a beatdown. Freddie Blassie with that memorable promo, you know, Devon, get the tables. What a lot of people that may forget is that classy Freddie Blassie died a few weeks later, a month or two later. That was it. I mean, that was the last time we saw Freddie Blassie on television. Always remember that moment. It was so... I just remember all of the hotlines playing that over and over again. Devon, get the tables. Here's that clip, the extended clip from that night. What an honor. Freddie Blassie, ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for Classy Freddie Blassie. Never been another one like him, has it, JR? And never will be again. <laughs> Freddie, I know we got off to a rough start, but, you know, it really, it truly is an honor for me to be out here with someone with a life story such as yours. And as a matter of fact, you wrote a book. Listen, you pencil neck geeks, and what a tremendous <laughs> book that it is available at bookstores nationwide it's a great read and like i said you've got a tremendous life story you've been around a hell of a long time exactly how old are you anyway 23 yeah 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 yeah. you know what my grandfather told my father's stories all about me i don't know how much longer you're gonna be here hopefully you've got i don't know maybe three minutes or so what Wait a minute. Look at it. What a fish off thinking. Now you gotta. This can't be even remotely what fish off is. I'll be damned. What are these guys gonna do? Wait, that's Rip. Oh. Three minute warning waiting in the ring. And look at fish off wheeling. Won't do this. 
Freddie Blassie is a, a defenseless old gentleman that... Yeah, this is not compelling TV, Bishop. It's not funny, and it's not entertaining. He's all yours! Did he just say he's all yours? What the... He's an old man in a wheelchair, for God's sakes. This ought to be a great chapter in your next book! We're gonna wait a minute. Leave. What are they gonna do with this? Leave Freddy alone, damn it! Uh oh. Here we go. Oh no 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 no! Did we talk about this? Did we talk about this? You and me. Step about. Hey, no, no, just step back about three feet. Back about three feet. Thank you very much. Did we talk about this? Hey hey hey! I tried to call you. We talk about it. Shut up. I tried to tell you about this. Hey, what are you doing? He's my guest. Bless you out of harm's way. What do you think? We you're didn't doing? Talk, I shut up. You're making me sick. I'm gonna make this real short and sweet for you. Do you understand me? You remember a couple of weeks ago you suspended a few guys? You suspended a few guys well. Yeah, what about it? What about him? What about him? I just unsuspended him. Hey, wait a minute, is he talking? No! What he? Oh, he is talking about! The Dudleys! Those damn Dudleys are back! And they're back in Philadelphia! And look at Bishop! Oh. And they're no longer suspended! Thanks to Stone Cold! And thank God also got Paul Freddy Blassie out of harm's way! God only knows what three-minute warning was going to do to the pretty blasting. That only knows what the Dudley's are. That's been a three-minute warning. And Robert Demon suspended without pay by Bischoff. And now the Dudley's are back thanks to Stone Cold. The Dudley's who, who cut their teeth right here in South Philadelphia. Oh, what a shot. Dick Rose, the corner pounder over the top. And Bubba. Rico! With a Bubba bomb on Rico. Watch out, Devon. Right hand by Bubba. And another knockdown. Inside out goes Jamal on the heavy clothesline by Devon. They're looking to these Philadelphia fans. You know what they want? They want some lumber. They want tables. Uh oh, wait a minute. It's going to be. Yes. This is not even a match. There's no referee out here. Oh, my God. Devon drove his head south of the belt line. Wait a minute. And now what? Well, they want it here, Billy. Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop it right there. Now what? Stop it right there. Classy Freddie Blassie got something he wants to say. Devon, get the table. Devon, get the table! Hey, you heard the man, he said, Devon, get the table! Freddie Blassie said, get the table! Seconded by Stone Cold Steve Austin, and now Devon's bringing up the wood! Freddie still wants to get wood, even at his age! What a guy! That's my kind of guy! <laughs> Look out! There's too bad Freddie's great book is already out! This will make a hell of a chapter! And Lee Rico trying to pull himself back up. And guess what awaits him? Lead to the table. The Dudleys are back on Raw. Reinstated. We 
Beer Bash King! Here's the start of the Stone Cold Beer Bash here in Philly! Now, earlier on Raw, we had an opening segment. I know I went backwards with this, but I wanted to play the Freddie Blassie one first. We had um, an opening segment, Christian, which was gaining a lot of popularity as a single star. He was supposed to be fighting Goldberg. And, you know, Christian, if you remember the character at the time, was trying to get out of the match. Steve Austin, co-GM for Raw. And... It led to um, a surprise return of a tag team. Unfortunately, it was the one and only time we would see them back. A lot of us, including yours truly, remember talking about in the hotlines that we honestly thought that this tag team would be back on a semi-regular basis. Never happened. Um, And then, unfortunately, one half of that tag team would die only five months later. But um, I'm going to share with you the entire segment. It runs a little over 10 minutes long. But trust me, if you were not a wrestling fan in 03, whether too young or maybe you just weren't into it at the time or you fell out of love with wrestling, this, I think, the entire segment and a surprise is a great example of what Raw was like at that time in 2003. Ain't nothing like the feel of a good old steel cage. I'm in the back trying to mind my own business. You're not here flapping your gums or the little excuses. I, I think it's a bunch of crap. What are you doing out here in your little tights? It's not time for the match. Shut up. The match ain't till later. Goldberg ain't even here yet. You understand when I tell you that the match is later. And the match is on. You will wrestle because I said so. Steve. Stone Cold. What? I saw you in the back before the show and you looked at me. You stuck your finger out and said I was on first. That's why I'm standing out here. No, no, no. I think you misunderstood me. Do you wear glasses? Do you wear glasses? Contacts? Do you have a vision problem? I didn't say you were number one. I was showing you that. Thank you very much. All right. How you doing? I get it. If I can just, can I address my peeps for one minute? Peeps! You got something to say to these people? I got something to say to my peeps. Well, by all means, please proceed. I sense that somebody is harboring a little resentment to me because The Rock named me his favorite wrestler. He is the new people's champ. And you know something else, Stone Cold? It's not my fault that The Rock beat you at WrestleMania. Oh. Whoa, look at that look. And I mean, you don't have to be jealous of me. Uh-oh. trying I'm trying very hard not to lose my patience Uh 
Do you understand me? You actually want me to lose my temper? <laughs> right now, I'm going to maintain my composure. But if you're going to continue to act like a jackass, then I will see fit to exercise my authority and yank your little ass out of the battle roll for the Intercontinental title, which means you ain't got a shot at being the Intercontinental Champion. That's a judgment day this Sunday. Now what? Intercontinental title will be reinstated in that big battle royal in Charlotte this Sunday. And now, here comes one half of the World Tag Team Champions. It's Rob Van Dam. What does he want? Well, maybe it's time for his match. It wasn't time for Christian's. always in a confused state. I don't know if he knows why he's out here. Stone Cold, I was listening to you back there. I just want to let you know, as a former Intercontinental Champion, perhaps the greatest, who's to say, I'm officially entering that Battle Royal. And plan on walking out on Judgment Day, the new Intercontinental Champion. RPD's in! Oh, hold on one second, Rob, hold on. All right, if you think you're so great, RVD, why don't you take my place against Goldberg tonight, right here in Philadelphia? Hey! And Christian is begging not to fight Goldberg in that cage He's tonight. He's so cold. The people want it. Can you hear them? They want it. Listen to them. They want it. They're clapping. Yeah. Oh, there's a ground swell. Not real is swell. Is that what you think? Yeah. That's what you think? Yes. You think that? You're so smart. You know what these people think? I think you're full of crap. Let me put it this way. If you want to ask these people what the hell's going on, we'll go ahead and ask them what the hell's going on. If you want to see Christian... Get his little greasy ass whipped in a steel cage tonight by Goldberg. Give me a hell yeah. Meeting adjourned. If you think there's only one man good enough to walk out of Judgment Day, the new Intercontinental Champion, give me a Rob Van Dam. What? If you think Stone Cold and RVD should get off my back and give me the night off. Give me a Christian rules. So the ride was rules. Did you hear that? The response you got basically means you suck. Oh. And as far as hey, as far as I'm concerned, you can both stop ripping off my material. 
And as a little side note to you, and you can look me in the eyes when I say this, you can leave the, you can leave the ring right now because if you don't, not only will you not be an Intercontinental title battle role, but I'm going to give you a stone cold stunner right here in the middle of this ring. be tag team partners and we might be friends but come judgment day tag team champions or not I'm gonna win that battle royal oh. and no one including you is gonna stop me Spelled dissension? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Kane. Okay. I'm listening to you. I hear you. But if winning that Intercontinental title means throwing you over that top rope, dude, I'll find a way to do it. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Man, hey, 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 hey. Hey! They're saying about Kane and RVD right now. I sense a little bit of tension right now. And I kind of like it. <laughs> but I know how to relieve tension. If I don't relieve tension, I'm going to drink some damn beer. Another Stone Cold beer bash. Oh, Give me some damn beer out here. Give me some beer. Not here in Philadelphia. Yeah. I'm going to happy hour. The co-general manager of Raw, Eric Bischoff, making his way to the ring. Awesome, this is Bischoff a beer. Get a need to catch his mitten. Take that one. Bischoff's mouth. Let's cut the music. Now let's cut the crap. Oh boy. It appears to me that we need some control in this situation. So let me lend my experience. I got everything under control. Oh no. Doesn't sound like it to me. In fact, I thought I heard you say something about a beer bash. Well, let me be perfectly clear. There is going to be no beer bash here tonight. No beer bash. You're sure about that? I hate to disappoint you, but you can catch a few cold ones after the show, I'm sure. See, if you remember correctly, last week I said that I was going to raise the bar here tonight. And I wasn't talking about the beer you'd find at the bar. No. 
As a matter of fact, as luck would have it, I was thinking about RVD and, and Kane here. So what I've decided to do is to sign a match where RVD and Kane will defend their tag team championships here tonight. Uh-oh. Here tonight. That's good. Against a team that they've never faced before. Never faced? That? A team that may be one of the best, if not the best, tag team in the history of our industry! What are you talking about, Dan? <laughs> Side. Watch it. Rob Van Dam up the top. And 
Dam, that change of pace. Oh, step over heel kick. Rocking down Animal with Rob Van Dam. Rolling Thunder! Van Dam, the Rolling Thunder on hold. But Animal with a shot to the back, right on Rob Van Dam. Well, that's one thing about the Road Warriors. I mean, these guys are the Legion of Doom. These guys are so cool. So Place. Look out here, Van Dam. Oh, Van Dam upstairs. LOD devastation device. Oh, <laughs> Van Dam ducked. Van Dam ducked. The devastation device. Oh, oh but man, the animal couldn't duck that big foot of Kane. Kane, the legal man. Uh oh. Hooking up Hawk. Taking oh. Hawk upstairs. And a touch slam. And Van Dam, man, up top. Surprise appearance of the Legion of Doom, but take a look at Van Dam. He he ducked disaster. Yeah, you're right there. The road, I keep wanting to call the road warriors. The Legion of Doom has won a million matches with that very move right there. But Rob Van Dam has pulled up many opponents with that five-star cross plan. But no time to prepare for the Legion of Doom. Kane and RVD win it, and they're both are Kane and RVD in the Intercontinental Battle Royal Sunday. 2004, sadly, John Tenta, who you knew as Earthquake, The Shark, Avalanche, Golga, he would retire from the ring, develop bladder cancer, um, never would recover. Two years later, passed away. 42 years old, really, really young. This same week in 2004, um, almost to the anniversary of the debut, the announcement of TNA, coming to pay-per-view. This week, we got a press release and an announcement that TNA would be moving away from weekly pay-per-views. They would get very low pay-per-view buy rates, and they would have a weekly regular TV series on cable on Fox Sportsnet. That would be the announcement this week in 2004. Um, the original time slot, anybody remember? 4 p.m. on Fridays. And almost one year to the day, Fox Sportsnet would cancel TNA programming almost a year to the day. 2006, during the filming of a commercial for SummerSlam, we had Batista and Booker T get into a fight. Back then, it was a big story. Since then, they have really downplayed it. You know, just look, testosterone, you know, people just, you know, sometimes you get into little scuffles. I think the one big thing that came out of this was Charmel kicking Batista in the nuts. Same week, on Monday Night Raw, we had Beth Phoenix make her main roster debut. Do you remember how she debuted? Well, let me set this up a little bit. Mickey James still feuding with Trish Stratus. At this time, Trish Stratus has her arm in a sling, cannot wrestle. Mickey James takes on Maria. This week on Raw, Trish Stratus is outside the ring in the corner of Maria. After the match is over, Mickey James decides to beat up Maria a little bit. Trish Stratus cannot have that. Even though she's in a sling, she tries to stop Mickey James from attacking Maria. Doesn't help. Mickey James starting to beat down Trish. And then uh, Beth Phoenix would appear. Now, 
At that time, she hit the ring and there was just silence. We thought that, hey, maybe a crazed fan hit the ring. Well, when they keep the camera going, you know, you know that this storyline. I'll let you hear it. You know, I think it comes off through the uh, speakers very well. Just hold you here, your ears, because there is a little bit of screaming going on. This is for you, Trish. Oh, God! Oh, mighty, that DDT. Oh, Maria. Maria got drilled. And that DDT did the business. Here is your winner, Mickey J. Well, you're right, JR. Maria got drilled. And not a good drill. Even though it was a non-title match, the women's champion winning convincingly. Now, wait a minute. It's... Fighting Trish, you know, come on, Mickey. You know she's got a separated shoulder. Hey, Mickey may be crazy, but she's not stupid. Oh, now, now, and now come Mickey on. With a cheap shot on Maria. Hey, Trish, now wait oh, a minute. Trish, look out here. You better use Trish trying to do the right thing, but and Trish with one arm. Hey, Trish using that pretty softball. Trish oh, oh, no. the shoulder. Oh no. The shot by Mickey James right in that that injured shoulder of Trish Stratus, and that has done the damage. That move has taken Trish right out of the ball game here. And remember Trish's shoulder, you saw that ugly dislocation. And now Mickey James taking it. She's, uh-oh. And the match is over. And, Another anniversary for TNA. This week in 07, the NWA announces that they are officially ending their relationship with TNA. Christian, who was the champion at the time, would be stripped of the NWA championship. And the same week, which was probably, I don't know, maybe it was good timing. TNA was having their sacrifice pay-per-view. So now NWA titles are no longer defended. We have TNA titles. That night, Match results for the X Division title. Chris Saban retains the TNA X Division title, defeating Jay Lethal and Sunjay Dutt. Robert Roode over Jeff Jarrett. Rhino over Christopher Daniels. In a handicap match, Basham and Damager over Kip James. Texas death match, Chris Harris over James Storm. Jerry Lynn over Alex Shelley, Alex Shelley Senshi, and Tiger Mask 4 in a four-way match. For the TNA World Tag Team titles, Team 3D retains defeating Hernandez and Homicide, as well as Scott Steiner and Tomko. You had Samoa Joe defeating AJ Styles. And the main event, now to this day, there's a little bit of confusion. A lot of people say that Kurt Angle is the first ever TNA Heavyweight Champion. A lot of people say that Christian Cage was stripped of the NWA Championship. 
you know, technically, I always looked at it like, okay, they stripped Christian Cage of the title, but TNA still acknowledged Christian Cage as the NWA champion. See, when Kurt Angle won this match over K, uh, Christian Cage and Sting, you know, Kurt Angle was not the NWA heavyweight champion. So there was a little bit of confusion at this time. But in the end, Kurt Angle was the winner and the new TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Now, when this match ended, they had Kurt Angle uh, with the ankle lock on Christian. Christian technically pinned Sting. You know, it was just the way it looked in the ring, there was a lot of confusion. So what do they do that week on Impact? They have Jim Cornette come out, who was a figurehead in TNA at the time, and he makes this announcement. We're going to settle some things here. Christian, there was a lot of controversy about what happened last Sunday at Sacrifice, but one thing is certain above all else. At the end of that match, you were flat on your back. That's a fact. Heavyweight champion. Sting, I have all the respect in the world for you and the way that you stayed with that big combination on Christian Cage, even while Kurt Angle had you in the ankle lock. It was tremendous, but in the end, you tapped out. That's what I saw. You're not the world heavyweight champion. This World Heavyweight Championship, this title belt signifying the best in TNA. Christian, it's not yours. Sting, it's not yours. Kurt, it's not yours either. What? What? Let me explain something. I want a franchise ball player in TNA. I want somebody who stands out undisputed as the man, as the top dog. I want a money ball player. And if you guys aren't hungry enough to deliver, then maybe we need to bring some new blood into this mix. New blood? Maybe we need to advance the equation. I see guys on this roster that are hungry. Guys on this roster that want to go to the top. I see guys like Rhino that's mowing down the competition. I see guys like Samoa Joe that mows down the competition. Well, let me tell all of you this. With all due respect to what you've accomplished, there's not going to be a glass ceiling in TNA like in some of these other wrestling organizations. Hold on a second, Jimmy. Hold on one second. Every single guy you just named, including these two, I have already beaten. Then you shouldn't have a problem beating them again. Put him in his place. So here's the deal. I'm going to take you three, you superstars, and I'm going to add the two guys I just mentioned, and we're going to add five more. The ten best names, ten best stars in TNA. And starting tonight, for the next five weeks until Slammiversary, right here on Impact, we're gonna have qualifying matches. The five winners of those matches go to a King of the Mountain match at Slammiversary, and the winner of that, and by gum, there will be a winner of that. He 
the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. And that's how we're going to settle it. So now Kurt Angle is stripped of the championship. They would not determine the winner of the title until Slammiversary in the King of the Mountain match involving Kurt Angle, Christian KJ, J. Styles, Chris Harris, Samoa Joe. And uh, Kurt Angle would end up winning anyway. So he ended up being champion. Same week, we had um, The Undertaker battle Batista on SmackDown for almost 30 minutes in a steel cage match. Now, at this time, Undertaker was injured, torn bicep. They had to take him off TV. He was the champion. So we had a cage match, Undertaker versus Batista. And, you know, it ended in controversy because Batista and Undertaker were climbing out of the cage. And it looked like, at the same time, the way they set it up on TV, it looked like both feet hit the floor, floor perfectly. If you actually look at Batista's end of the video, you could see Undertaker slightly in the background, and you could see that technically I think Undertaker's feet hit the floor anyway, but because they made it look like a tie, Undertaker retained the belt. After the match is over, Mark Henry comes out, beats the fuck out of the Undertaker, leaving him a, a bloody mess. And then someone decides to cash in their Money in the Bank match, and uh, Undertaker would ultimately lose the title to Edge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what being world champion is about. This is what you find out what you got in your soul, what you got in your heart. I told you, it's about the heart, it's about oh my, desire. What the hell's Undertaker doing on the top rope? He's got Batista's throat in his massive hand. Undertaker looking to the mat below. Evil intentions perhaps for the feet off, and Batista realized it. The problem, Michael, punches that knock you out of punches you don't see. And that blood in Undertaker's eyes, he's not seeing that right hand of Batista. Both men perilously perched on the top rope. The first man to fall, maybe the first man to lose. And Undertaker to the back, it gives Batista a distinct advantage to try to tie him over the cage. The animal, he senses a regaining of his championship. He gets out. We've got a new champion, Undertaker sits up! But will it be too late? The feet out to the top rope, Batista, Batista! Somebody's going to get down first! Undertaker up now as well! Batista crawling over, Undertaker crawling over! Who's going to be champion? Undertaker dropping down, Batista dropping down! the ruling. Well, we got referees in perfect position. What's the ruling? Well, the question is, who is the world champion? Truck, please get us a replay on one of these monitors. We got to get a replay on one of these monitors. And here it is. 
Well, let's watch it again uh, in slow-mo. Guys, it's a world championship. You've got to make a hang call. Hang on, John, hang on. Your decision, both men's feet hit the floor at the same time. This match is considered a draw. In the event of a tie, as we all know, the champion retains the title. So still your champion, the Undertaker. All right? Ladies and gentlemen, the referees have concluded that both men's feet touch the floor at the same time. Therefore, this match is a draw. Now, in all cases, a tie goes to the champion. Therefore, still the world heavyweight champion, The Undertaker. Well, there you have it, John. And, I mean, honestly, I think I've got to agree with the officials after watching replay after replay. But it's a damn shame the matchup where both of these men put their bodies on the line into that way. In the end, hey! Mark Henry, the world's strongest man, assaulting the champion. Right hands off the, the skull of the champion. Mark Henry said he was going to return and make an impact. He's the world's strongest man. Oh. What are you going to do about it? And Henry is targeting the open wound of the Undertaker. And the champion. Whatever was left of the Undertaker is being destroyed right now. Undertaker is helpless. Undertaker-driven spine first to the post. Has absolutely no clue, John, where he is. Completely defenseless. He's got that hurt arm. He's got that busted up head. Undertaker is a sitting duck right now for the world's strongest man. Mark Henry put the locker room on notice. And what a way to do that by taking out the champion. Remember, Mark Henry put out Benoit, Mysterio, Batista. He's about to add one more champion to his list. This is unfair. This is unfair. The Undertaker has been decimated after a steel cage match, and he is being destroyed by Mark Henry, who has no business being out here. This is ridiculous. This is a travesty. The Undertaker is motionless. He said he wanted to make an impact, Michael. Seven wasn't anything anybody could do about it. You've got to be kidding me. No. No, come on, Edge. No, not this way. No, damn it. No. No. It's brilliant, Michael. 
The referee is disgusted. I'm disgusted. Here's the cover. Hook on the leg. And Undertaker kicked out. Come on, Taker. Come on, Undertaker. Cover again. And again, the champion kicks out. But how much does Undertaker have left? The referee had no choice. He spent. The referee had no choice but to make this match official. Edge is cashing the money in the bank. He won on Raw Monday night. And Undertaker. You're kidding the me. The Undertaker. tried to sit up. He couldn't quite do it. After the assault by Mark Henry, the battle in the steel cage, but perhaps Edge is second-guessing himself here. What does he have to do to keep the phenom down? Edge is a shark that smells blood in the water, Michael. He's become world champion like this before, and I don't care how many times the Undertaker sits up. He's got nothing left. Undertaker can't even pull himself up by the ropes. He is a beaten, defenseless, champion in that as much as you don't like it michael this is a brilliant brilliant move by edge that sick piranha that piranha edge is measuring the undertaker he's a piranha that could be our next world champion Wrapping up 2007, I wonder how many people know that Vince McMahon is actually technically Dr. Vince McMahon. Gave the commencement speech at Sacred Heart University, and he received the honorary Doctor of Human Letters degree. So technically, you can call him Dr. Vince McMahon. Well, I got the commencement speech that he uh, said, and I want to share it. Only runs about six minutes, but I like it because very rare do you get to hear Vince McMahon out of his element on uh, in real life. I think you'll appreciate this, Vince McMahon commencement speech, Sacred Heart, Connecticut. It is now my distinctive pleasure to call on Dr. McMahon to deliver the commencement address. Dr. McMahon. I wondered why Tony Sinero asked me to be here today. No doubt it's a great honor of mine. Don't want me to tell you is not a great risk taker, so given the possibility of my remarks, that could not be the reason. <laughs> and then I thought I know what it is. Tony Sinero is desperate. <laughs> because the important person that he really wanted to be up here. Well, just didn't show up at the last moment. 
Or could it be that Tony Sinero is finally just off his rocker? <laughs> I have no pearls of wisdom for you today. I'm not going to tell you how to run your lives because I have great difficulty running mine. Nonetheless, I can share with you an abbreviated form of uh, some of my personal experiences. I was born in 1945. What? I, I know what you're saying, 1945, oh my God, he's an old fart. I don't consider myself an old fart. Well, I have occasion, had a bout of uh, flatulence. <laughs> I grew up in a, uh, a relatively poor and volatile environment. Grew up in what was known then as a trailer park in an eight foot wide, 50 foot trailer. Notwithstanding my housing and uh, the environment in general, it was no excuse for me becoming what was then known as a certifiable juvenile delinquent. So much so that the uh, local authorities suggested that I attend a state-supported institution. They gave me a choice. I could either do that or I could go to military school. I've always had a problem with authority figures and still do to this day. Nonetheless, my, uh, my dad funded my opportunity to go to military school and I graduated. I was very proud of that. But not before I was the first cadet in the history of the school to be court-martialed. <laughs> My dad insisted I go to college, and I said, Pop, I'm just not college material. I proved it. It took me three occasions taking the SATs to finally reach a combined score of just slightly over 800. <laughs> but nonetheless, I applied to one college, and the reason I applied to the one because it was the closest to my then-girlfriend. And that college was East Carolina University. And uh, they too suggested I was not exactly college material. The only way I could get into East Carolina was go to summer school and pass two courses, then they would let me in. That's what I did. I went to summer school and barely passed two courses, and then I was a certifiable freshman. I had great difficulty uh, learning in college. So much so that uh, after two years, I, I had to come up with something. I, I had to like reach in and, and grab something that was gonna help me through school. And then I said, I know what I'll do. I'll get married. Perhaps not exactly the smartest thing in the world, but actually it turned out that it was. Wow. So there I was, uh, married and in college, and it took me five years to get through a four-year curriculum. And there I was marrying the lady you see here on the stage, poor woman who's been living with me for over 40 years, my wife Linda. Stand up, Linda. Fine-looking woman, fine-looking woman. I liked summer school so much that uh, I went to every summer school. 
see what would happen is I would flunk out every year and have to go to summer school just to get back in. Nonetheless, I then somehow graduated. I'll never forget the look on Linda's parents' face when uh, in their face when I suggested that you know, graduation is great, but I've got to have something to top that. So I announced to them on graduation day that my wife Linda was pregnant. Way to go, Vince. You're off to the races. So then I began a succession of uh, dead-end jobs, so to speak, and then I probably found my true calling, manual labor. I uh, worked 90 hours a week in a rock quarry, Rockville crushed stone. And just weeks before Linda was to give birth to our son, Shane, came home that night and I looked at Linda and I probably said, guess what, I've quit my job. <laughs> Something similar was to happen some seven years later when Linda, just weeks before giving birth to our daughter Stephanie, it was, well, just weeks before when I declared bankruptcy. Not exactly a shining moment in my life. Nonetheless, we trudge on. Sometime after that, using, and you business uh, graduates will know what I mean by using mirrors. I used a, a number of mirrors and, and bought my dad's business, my dad and his other stockholders, called Capital Wrestling Corporation. And upon buying Capital Wrestling Corporation, a lot of luck, a lot of hard work, that became the global promotional juggernaut that we now know as World Wrestling Entertainment. The WWE, and along the way became a billionaire. Way to go, Vince. I see a lot of aspiring billionaires out there. Yeah! Nonetheless, I, uh, notwithstanding the success of WWE, I, I still have a number of failures. And uh, one of them comes to a mine in which I made quite a bit of an investment in something known as the World Bodybuilding Federation. That sounds real good, doesn't it? Yeah. But notwithstanding that, I said, well, that's not a very good investment as it turned out. Uh, so therefore, I, I need to make a larger investment, something that I know that's really going to work. The World Bodybuilding Federation, of course, defunct, and then I came up with the even more defunct XFL. So there have been a, a number of failures along the way in my life, and I have no pearls of wisdom, as I said before, but I can leave you perhaps with this thought, notwithstanding my failures. It's important in life that you're not afraid to fail. And if you're not afraid to fail, then you will be a success in life. Congratulations, thank you very much. Two thousand and eight, TNA has their sacrifice pay-per-view. You know, a lot of controversy coming out of this pay-per-view because of the knockout makeover battle royal, which ended up with Roxy getting her head shaved and you know, seeing the way that her head got all cut up and everything was just very disturbing, very uncomfortable to see. I, I didn't like it at all. I know a lot of people complained after. Uh match results from that night, you know, they had the Deuces Wild Tag Team Tournament. 
quarterfinals, Team 3D over James Storm and Sting, Christian Cage and Rhino over Booker T and Robert Roode, LAX over Kip James and Matt Morgan, AJ Styles and Super Eric over Awesome Kong and BG James. In a Terror Dome match to determine the number one contender to the X Division Championship and to take Kurt Angle's place in the main event, Kaz over Alex Shelley, Chris Sabin, Consequences Creed, Jay Lethal, Curry Man, Johnny Devine, Jimmy Rave, Sharkboy, and Sonja Dutt. In the semifinals in the tag team tournament, Team 3D over Christian Cage and Rhino, the LAX over AJ Styles and Super Eric. The tag team tournament final for the vacant TNA tag titles, you had LAX over Team 3D. The 10-woman TNA Knockouts Makeover Battle Royal to determine number one contender to the Knockouts title. And as I said, we had Roxy get her head shaved. We had Gail Kim winning it all. I'm not even going to get into how she ended up winning. There was some immunity. and It's just less is more sometimes, TNA. Less is more. Main event, three-way match for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Samoa Joe retains, defeating Scott Steiner and Kaz. 2010, fresh off of the disaster of the Monday Night Wars 2 and the ratings taking a major hit. Dixie Carter makes a really awkward plea to wrestling fans online, telling them all to DVR Impact and watch it within three days so their viewership could be counted in the Nielsen ratings. What Dixie Carter didn't understand is that unless you were part of the Nielsen sample with a Nielsen box, uh, DVRing it and watching it at that time uh, was not going to have any effect. It was just a weird, desperate plea. In fact, this was not the only desperate plea that TNA would do this week in history. Wait till you hear the next one we get into it in a moment. 2011, the infamous segment from Monday Night Raw. Remember at this time, Jerry Lawler wanted a challenge. Michael Cole again once, uh, once again in a match. Could not lay his hands on Michael Cole. And Michael Cole at this time, hidden inside that plexiglass, what he called the coal mine. Well, this was the night where Jerry Lawler grabbed Michael Cole's tie, started pulling the tie outward, smashing Michael Cole's face in the plexiglass, and then Michael Cole's face smushed against that plexiglass, and we had that screenshot of Michael Cole's face. Come on, it's legendary now. Took place this week on Raw. Same week, New Japan has their first ever show in the United States, courtesy of Jersey All Pro Wrestling and Fat Frank. Loki and Homicide over Jusha Dunalaga and Tiger Mask. Satoshi Kojima over Kenny Omega. You had the Bullet Club of Giant Bernard, Carl Anderson, Prince Devitt, and Ryuzuki Taguchi over Shinsuke Nakamura, Jado Gato, and Davey Richards. Yujiro Takahashi over Hideo Saito. Tetsuya Naito over Josh Daniels. Toru Yano over Danny Moff. MVP over Okada. And Charlie Haas and Rhino over Tanahashi and Toji Makabe. Wrapping up 11, Brock Lesnar pulled from UFC 131, came down with a second battle of diverticulitis. 2012, we would learn that NXT would be moving full-time to Full Sail University in Orlando, Florida. Also that week in 2012, Gail Kim, congratulations to her and Robert Irvine, they got married. We had TNA Sacrifice take place from Orlando, Florida for the tag titles. Kazarian and Christopher Daniels win the belts, defeating Magnus and Samoa Joe. Gail Kim retains the knockouts title over Brooke Tessmacher. 
The TV title, Brother Devon retains, defeating Robbie E and Robbie T. Mr. Anderson over Jeff Hardy, Crimson over Eric Young, Austin Aries over Bully Ray, Kurt Angle over AJ Styles, and the main event, ladder match for the heavyweight title, Bobby Roode retains, defeating Rob Van Dam. And finally this week in 12, another desperate plea, Hulk Hogan wants to increase fan interaction with TNA. Wants it to be more interactive. His idea makes you wonder if he cleared this with the wrestlers first. Whenever you see a TNA wrestler in public, Film them, confront them, shake their hand, interact with them. Now, when you see them in real public, when they're, they're usually with family, traveling, airports, you know, when, you know, in the right moment, you go up, you say hello, you shake their hand, take a picture, maybe ask for an autograph. But he overgeneralized it, and people laughed their asses off. Some wrestlers did not like the idea of the impression that fans could confront them at any time, even if. They're with their families. Did not go over well. Another lame attempt. 2013, Baron Corbin makes his WWE NXT TV debut. I originally was going to add a match. It is boring. It is not fun. And we're not just saying that because many people don't like Baron Corbin. It just was blah. He lost to Damian Sandow. Uh, controversy this week in TNA. Impact. Tupelo. And an event it was supposed to be Austin Aries and Bobby Roode versus Christopher Daniels and Kazarian. Christy Hemmy's in the ring announcing the participants. As Bobby Roode and Austin Aries walk down to the ring, she announces them as Daniels and Kazarian. Bobby Roode, not happy. Austin Aries, not happy. Bobby Roode, professional. Austin Aries, unprofessional. Basically puts Christy Hemmy into the corner in the ring. And as Christy Hemmy is standing in the corner... Uh, Austin Aries climbs the ring and basically puts his crotch right in the face of Christy Hemme. It was very controversial, uh, very uncomfortable. Christy Hemme was uncomfortable, had tweeted about it. Austin Aries, you know, tried to downplay it online. It took TNA and Dixie Carter five days to publicly denounce it. And honestly, I said it back then, a lot of people still feel this way now. TNA never thought in a million years they would get the outrage that they got online. And after five days of, you know, it really starting to gain momentum, because a lot of people didn't even know this happened at first. But once the websites picked up on it and people were in an uproar on social media, that's when they posted their comments, zero tolerance for sexual harassment and blah, 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 blah. Go back and look at the tweets that went down, especially from Austin Aries. Didn't look like they disciplined them immediately as they claimed they did. 2014, uh, Buck Rock and Roll Zumoff, that pedophile, sentenced to 25 years in prison. Two charges in the first degree and two charges in the third degree of criminal sexual contact. It all stemmed when they uh, discovered he was sexually abusing his daughter uh, starting at the age she was 15. Disgusting. 2015, another desperate attempt by TNA. Come off as attitude? I don't know if it was attitude or ineptitude. They decided to be a little bit controversial on TV. They had a couple of wrestlers drop the F-bomb, which was censored, obviously. But this week in 15, we had the beatdown clan in the ring. MVP, Homicide, Loki, and Kenny King. 
MVPs on the mic, trying to hype up that they're thugs, and decides he is going to drop the N-word. Tonight, on Destination America, Impact Wrestling is live! And because it's live, I'm going to say a few things that are going to make you uncomfortable, but the truth tends to do that. Before I get to that, I need to talk about this mask right here that belongs to the fourth member of the Beatdown Clan, my brother Homicide. Now, Homicide can't be here tonight because earlier in the week, he headed down to the bodega to cop a couple fillies, and on his way out, somebody damn near him, blindsided him, and he had to have shoulder surgery. Now, I'm not saying that Drew Galloway and The Rising hang out in the Bronx, but I believe they probably know somebody and made a call to some affiliated bangers to touch my boy Homicide. That does not fly. But what has me so confused about this whole thing with the rising, when they stoop down to disgusting, despicable, cowardly acts like that, you cheer them. You stand up for the rising. Now we, the beatdown clan, we do what we want to do. We take what we want to take. The same way when your United States government wanted Iraqi oil fields, they just took them. When they wanted Libyan oil fields, they just took them. We do that. We take gold. And you speak so badly of us. When we skirt the rules like your Congress does to make the rules work for them, when we do that, you call us thugs. Now, of course, it was censored, but it made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. It was just not a smart thing to do. It totally backfired. It just was not smart to do. We're almost done. We're almost going to wrap this up. 2016, Adam Rose, real name Ray LaPon, arrested in Hillsborough County, Florida. Uh, misdemeanor charge of domestic battery violence and a felony charge of tampering with a witness. Basically, there was an altercation with him and his wife. She tried to call 911, and he basically grabbed the phone away from her. That's the, where the tampering charge came in. You know, less than a year earlier, we saw Adam Rose on E60, WWE Behind the Curtain. A lot of sympathy for Adam Rose because of his his kid, and you really wanted a root for him. And then you had this happen suspended from WWE. His career was never the same. Never the same. Now, we haven't heard anything since, and I hope that his marriage survived. I haven't heard anything about divorce. It must be very stressful to go through what his son Maverick is going through. Doesn't justify any type of abuse whatsoever. But look, you know, it was it was what it was. It was really sad to see. Um, it shouldn't be tolerated no matter what year it is, but it happened this week at 16. It was the beginning of the end of Adam Rose, not only in WWE, but in wrestling. 
Same week, New Japan and Ring of Honor had the Global Wars event from Chicago Ridge, Illinois. Dark match, Kelly Klein over Mary Dobson. Juice Robinson and Kamatachi over Silas Young and the Beer City Bruiser, as well as the All-Night Express of Rhett Titus and Kenny King. Number one contender match for the Ring of Honor TV title, Dalton Castle over ACH, Hangman Page, and Roderick Strong. Cheeseburger and Juice and Lager over The Addiction, which was Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels. For the tag titles, Raymond Rowe and Hanson, which was War Machine, over the Briscoes, Mark and Jay Briscoe. Tetsuya Naito over Kyle O'Reilly. Moose and Katsuhika Okada over Hiroshi Tanahashi and Michael Elgin. For the TV title, Bobby Fish over Tomohiro Ishii to win the belt. Bullet Club, Matt and Nick Jackson, as well as Tama Tonga and Tanga Roa over Chris Sabin, Alex Shelley, Kushida, and Matt Seidel. And for the Ring of Honor heavyweight title, Colt Cabana versus Jay Lethal, no contest. Jay Lethal still has the belt. And finally, it was this week of 2017 that the papers were pretty much finalized. Billy Corrigan, new owner of the NWA. Notable birthdays this week. Those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday to George Gordienko, Owen Hart, Hercules Hernandez, Killer Carl Krupp, Boris Volkoff, Mike Shaw, Sean Osborne, Koto Foyuki, Little Boy Blue, James Dudley, Joe Lewis, Gus Ed, and Rocky Tamayo. Happy birthday to all of you. Danny Hodge turns 87, Jerry Brown 82, Tito Santana 66, El Espanto Jr., and Sonny Warcloud 63. Paul Diamond and Dennis Rodman. Yeah, I'm going to include Dennis Rodman. He turns 58. Glacier, 55. Akatoshi Saito, 54. Umberto Garza Jr., 53. Kevin Kelly and Hugh Mungus, 52. William Regal turns 51. Aki Bono turns 50. Jason Helton, I'm in ECW, 49. Doug Basham turns 48. Billy Kidman, Chip Stetson and El Cholo turn 45. Truth Martini, Francisco Siatsu, Ricky Ortiz, and Antonio Garza turn 44. Robert Rude, Little Genie, Kevin O'Neill, and Makoto Hashi turn 42. Yuiga turns 40. Nikki Benz, 39. Jimmy Wang Yang and Arda Ocal turn 38. Nihilus Young, Starboy, and Puck turn 37. Robert Kushida, Kaiser, Daisy Hayes, Tormento, Chiaki Nishi, Shinya Aoki and Tanga Roa turn 36. Kevin Owens and Natsuki Tayo turn 35. Tommaso Ciampa, Rhea O'Reilly, and Philly the Kid turn 34. Chris King, 33. Lynch Dorado, Lars Manderson, Chihiro Oikawa, John Atlas, Matt Carlos, and Angelico turn 32. Yoshihisa Uto turns 31. Sartoro Satsuki and Nitro turn 30. Io Shirai and Mitsuro Kono turn 29. Scarlett Bordeaux, Viper, and Koju Takeda turn 28. Omega turns 27. Will Ospreay and Nemesis turn 26. Halsin Soriano Jr. turns 25. Yako Fuji, uh, Fujikasaki turns 22. And Yua Hayashi, happy birthday, turns 21. Notable debuts this week in history. Pero Aguayo debuted in 1970. Tatsumi Fujinami in 71. Jake the Snake Roberts in 1975. Kerry Von Erich in 78. Bull Nakano in 83. Ultimo Dragon in 87. Steve Austin in 1989. Danny Doring in 97. Kevin Owens in 2000. Kelly Kelly and Cody Rhodes debuted in 2006. 
Takaki Watanabe in 2011, Diana Perazzo in 2014, and Nia Jax in 2015. And finally, notable deaths this week, those who passed away this week in history. Matt Morton died at age 90, Carl Cooper at 86, Walter Saroy at 85, Sonny Myers, 83, Judy Grable and Jesse James at 82, Buck Davidson at 81, Dale Haddock at age 80, Leo Garibaldi and Fred Ward died at age 78, Tiger Joe Marsh at 77, Guy Brunetti and Jack O'Brien at 75, Penny Banner at 73, Casey Colombo at 71, Frank Tunney and Del Skinner died at age 70, Kato Kung Lee and John Bilbo died at 69, Ilio DiPaolo at 68, the Super Swedish Angel at 67, Lenny Montana at 66, Johnny Eagles, 64, Big Bully Busick at 63, Rene Guajardo at 59, Grant Apache at 58, Tara Humara and Paul Bunyan at 56, Danny Littlebear at 53, Ram Man Johnny Evans at age 50, Jumbo Suruta at 49, Tadayoshi Fuchitayama at 45, Big Daddy Lipskin at 31, and Wayne Van Dyke died at age 29. I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. Follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, the website DonTony.com. Email me DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC Show. Don't forget, we have a Discord channel now. It is banging 24-7. A lot of uh, live content there as well. Patreon-exclusive shows air and air. Uh, give it a look. Sign up for free. Patreon.com slash Don Tony is our Patreon page. Not only as little as $5 gets you all of our Patreon exclusive shows, but for everybody out there who has wanted access just for our live Tuesday show, which piggybacks Monday's DTKC show, we have now launched a tier, $2. Check out all the details, patreon.com slash Don Tony. Everyone, I'll be back next week with Season 2, Episode 20 of This Week in Wrestling History. I hope you enjoyed it again. Everyone, be well. I'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets. No, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. Or filet fish You'd be doing the same thing if you were at McDonald's because you can choose not just one, but two of your favorites for just six bucks. Tasty Big Mac, crispy 10-piece chicken McNuggets, juicy quarter pounder with cheese, or savory filet fish Enjoy two of your all-time favorites for just six bucks, if you can decide on the two. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. I'm enrolling in Medicare soon, and it had me a little confused. Then I found MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I could learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier. My choice, my Medicare, MyHealthPolicy.com.